Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You know, Morrissey was interested in using me to, you know, to play for him, you know. And I remember saying something quite derogatory, you know, like, oh, I'll never play, you know, for him or whatever, you know. And, and I didn't think I ever would. I, I certainly didn't think I'd ever kind of get any kind of invite to. Yeah. But towards the tail end of the summer, when I'd been in the damn a while, out of the blue, I'd just get invited to go and have a, you know, an informal audition for, for Morrissey. He, you know, what, what the word that I got was that, Morrissey had been invited to play the first Coachella festival and he needed a drummer and I was given the date of the festival and would I be interested? Run for the Show podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Drum for the Song podcast. I am your host, Dane Campbell. Today's guest is the fantastic Spike T. Smith. At the moment, he's playing in a death metal band called Memoriam. Uh, but historically, he's had a crazy career with a wide range of artists, such as The Damned, Morrissey, Killing Joke, Sacrilege, and New York Dolls, and, and many others. So quite a varied career, Spike. How are you doing today? I'm really great, Dane. Thank you for inviting me on your uh, uh, your program. I've been following it. I really like it. I really appreciate that you've actually, um, you know, taken some time to listen. And I guess that's how we started speaking, um, which was nice. Uh, I found out that you listened to the show. And then we ended up sharing a stage together, which was crazy at, um, at Bloodstock Festival. And it was really nice to meet you and watch you play. It was, it was very impressive. So, you know, as soon as I saw that, I was like, right, I've got to get him on the show. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks a lot. I mean, yeah, it was great. You're right. You know, it was it was great for both of us, wasn't it? It was it was it was amazing to finally get back out and play. It was amazing to play such a great festival, um, share the stage together. I mean, I I thoroughly, you know, enjoyed your set. I was watching from the side and uh, well, I watched them from the back to get the atmos, you know, the atmosphere. Yeah, and then I watched them from the side, and you know you were killing it. Ah, thank you very much. It was, yeah, it was a fun show. It was really fun, and um, that you know we've that was the third time we've played that festival, and it's always been great. So thanks to the guys at Bloodstock for having us again, and for the for the audience for being awesome as as they always are. So it's great. Hey, I, I thought of something funny that I didn't mention on the night. Okay. But when I was when I was watching your interview with Mickey D, it was ten years to the you know. Because in 2011, that he said they played their most awful show at that festival. Oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't think, I didn't realize that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I forgot about it on the night, but I thought it might have been a funny thing to tell your dad. <laughs> yeah, would it? Yeah, he probably he, he remembers it. I asked him about it, and um, yeah, I don't. He probably you know. did his best to forget about it, like we all do when we have those awful shows. The trouble yeah. is, you never can. <laughs> I do, well, it, it sounds fit. I can't say I've ever had a show as disastrous as that sounded, but you know, I haven't done as many shows as my old man. So I'm sure, no. you know, you've got to have the odd dodgy show every now and again. Of course so. you do. And I suppose <laughs> it's the pressure when you're doing it, when you're, you know, in that level of band with that legacy, 
yeah. playing to that many people, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess I think it was a headline slot, which I guess is even more pressure again. So yeah. I don't know. It's pretty. That's pretty scary because I, I watched. Um, you know, I watched the headline headline set Judas Priest the following day, and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. Just, just imagining being up there at that time was like, whoa, yeah, that was that's you know I've done you know I've done headline slots on smaller stages and things like yeah. that, obviously, but like yeah, that was a big big stage. You know, a lot of big audience. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. But um, let's 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 talk more about your, you know, I, I say drum journey, but you know, I know you discovered the drums when you were quite a young, young lad. Uh, so, you, yeah. you want to describe how you kind of originally got playing the drums, and you know, your, about your influences at the time and and things like that, and maybe your family background and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean. The way it began, I mean, my father was a musician, very much like you. My dad's a guitarist. Oh, cool. um, he wasn't of, you know, like your dad's level. He was playing in local pubs and clubs. A very active, you know, local musician in the area I grew up in, which is Hollyhead in North Wales. So, you know, I was, I was always around music. Um, you know, we had a healthy record collection, you know, as, as you know, musicians tend to have. And um, hold on, so let's come up on the screen. Um, yeah, you know, we we had a healthy record collection, and he'd be out playing every weekend. So, so consequently, I would go with him to set up his gear or go and pick it up from the local pubs and clubs mm. uh, when I was very young. And um, and you know, once I was able to operate a record player, I'd be going through the records and finding, you know, like. Anything that interested me, you know, it was a hell, you know, it's pretty much a rock and roll collection. I mean, you know, that that's what he grew up on and that's what inspired him. And so, you know, I'd see like, you know, like a little Richard album and put that on or, um, <clears throat> you know, or a, a, obviously an Elvis or um, Eddie Cochran, Buddy Holly. It, it was all, you know, what the, the, the artist you'd expect, a great artist and stuff like, you know, he had some Beatles and, and then Rolling Stones and that. But mainly for me, it was the older rock and roll. Okay. And, and so, I, you know, I'd be listening to that and then I'd be going with him to his gigs and, you know, and uh, helping him, you know, set up his equipment or take it down and and whatnot. And uh, and I always used to love that for somebody so young, I'd been in all the pubs in Holly Head, you know, before I was about eight. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's mad. <laughs> uh, and... Um, of course, you know, like this was, you know, way before pubs with families or, or restaurants stroke pubs. You know, they were strictly like, you know, over 18, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when I was young then, I, I, I really thought I was going to be a guitarist. I was obsessed with the guitar. And the rock and roll thing only, you know, encouraged that, you know, being that it's very guitar-led. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I also like the instrumental groups and, you know, like uh, records that were coming out at the time, you know, like, um, you know, The Shadows, 20 Golden Greats, and Burt Whedon had an album out, and, you know, and I started checking out, you know, bands like The Ventures, you know, the, the, the American surf bands, and I just really loved the twangy guitar, Dwayne Eddy, you know, all of that. So... I was convinced I was going to be a guitarist. It was just a case of when I was, you know, big enough to to actually be able to, you know, to 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 hold one and start, you know, learning to play it and play the chords and that. Well, I got a guitar for Christmas, like a you know a tradition, you know, typical, you know, like classic, cheap classic, classical style guitar that I really, 
you know, the necks are really wide. Yeah. And, and, um, although my, my dad would allow me to sort of, you know, to, you know, to use his guitar as well. But, you know, like I felt as if I had my own guitar and that's what I was trying to learn. Anyway, it was, it didn't work out. It was, you know, I, I couldn't play it. I lost interest. I lost heart that I wasn't picking it up immediately and, and all of that usual stuff, you know. But of course, I was still very, very much, you know, obsessed with music, really. that That's always been my thing. You know, I've never been big on sports and whatnot. But um, so fast forward like a few years to when I'm in secondary school and, uh, you know, I've developed a new passion in music, which is punk. Mm. Um, I hadn't caught it right at the first wave. I was a little bit young for that. So, they, you know, this was about sort of like 1979, which is when I started secondary school. Right. And, um, <clears throat> you know, going to a local, you know, like under 18 youth club style disco and whatnot. And, and, and I'd started hearing punk records there. I'd already started hearing a bit of new wave stuff on the radio, you know, your likes of Blondie and Elvis Costello and Boomtown Rats and that. And I was liking it. I was starting to think, oh, I'm finding, you know, a bit of my own music here. But then, of course, when I went to these discos, you know, in them days, the discos used to have like like rotating sections. It was primarily the popular pop disco music of the day. But they'd have a, you know, like um, a section that would be dedicated to punk, you know, and all the punks would be up and pogo and the older punks, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they'd have a little heavy metal section and a northern soul section and, and a little bit later on a, 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 a ska mod section. So it was all about kind of, you know, seeing these people that, you know, had their musical styles and, and you know, would swap over on the dance floor. You know, you'd have a bunch of punks pogoing or... <laughs> Metal is headbanging or, you know, uh, you know, and whatnots, you know, the scar boys and girls doing their thing and that. And so that's how I got exposed to punk because then suddenly I was hearing, you know, like the Sex Pistols, Sham 69, Slaughter and the Dogs, um, Generation X, you know, the, you know, the heavier bands, you know, the, the proper punk bands along with, you know, who, whoever was ordered of the day. So that's, how I got introduced to punk music and, and, you know, I started going out and buying the records then. I was able to go out and sort of look in the charts and see, oh, you know, um, you know, the Skids latest single is here, you know, and I'd buy it. And so the way that it happened with, 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 with the drumming thing, you know, cause that's kind of like my musical sort of, you know, upbringing was the guitar thing was like, you know, that wasn't going to happen. And, and, and I wasn't looking for another instrument. I was just enjoying kind of, you know, you know, this new music that I'd found. And, and yeah. that was, you know, just basically was feeding my appetite for it. Cause there was something coming out every week, you know, the, a new record or, you know, and, and whatnot, bands releasing albums. And one of the bands that I really, I really loved, but I'd, I'd only recently discovered was The Damned. Ah. So. I had, I think, maybe a single and maybe I just got what was their latest album. That was an album called Machine Gun Etiquette. And this was all kind of, you know, like late 1979. And um, one night, I, I, I remember I had the record and, you know, the thing was is that, in that, you know, on the records I had, they all had pictures of the band, but they didn't say who did what, you know. Right, okay. So, you didn't know. You just seen. Oh, that's what the band looks like. And you know, I'd look and think, oh, you know, 
God, and one of them looks like Dracula. What does he play? Or what does he do? You know, or there's, you know, ginger haired guy holding an axe. You know, I wonder what instrument he plays and whatnot. And, and anyway, so that was the damned. And I came home one night, you know, I remember this really well. I, I you know, from being out with my mates or whatever. And I, I, I'd either been in the house or just not that long come in, but my dad was in the living room watching a program. I'd never heard a scene called The Old Grey Whistle Test. Ah, right. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of got like a little bit of a, you know, a, a legendary status now or, or where it sits as a music program. And I suppose so it should because you see so much footage from the bands of the day and it's of them performing on that program, you know. Anyway, I came, I came in and... Uh, or I sat down in the living room and, and just literally as I sat down and Nightingale was introducing the damn. So straight away, I was like, whoa, wow, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, of course, you know, I mean, everybody older says this, but, you know, back in the day, you couldn't go on the internet to search things out and look. You just had what you had. So yeah. for me, it was probably the first time I'd seen somebody that I liked that was on TV. Yeah, yeah. I you know, actually playing. And so, you know, the band launched into sort of promoting their latest song, which was um, Smash It Up. And, uh, and of course, you know, the first thing I'm looking like is like, you know, I'm watching, I'm like, oh, you know, the Dracula guy's the singer. <laughs> you know, the guy with the fluffy jumpers, Captain Sensible, the guitarist, the guy, crazy guy with the axe is the drummer. <laughs> you know, it's Rat Scabies. Amazing. And I just remember I was completely in awe, you know, like, you know, him and his drumming, it just, you know, I was, I was, you know, completely captured watching him and watching him play. And, you know, the crazy thing was they had, they had to play two songs. They didn't even get through the second song before Rathscabers was smashing in his gear up. Amazing. Yo. He's famously didn't he just set, set his drums on fire or something? Is that the, he didn't same? set them on fire, ah. but he completely, you know, like, you know, like completely obliterates them. And, and you know, <laughs> he's got his stead on it, whacking them, you know, the symbols. You can find it on YouTube now, you know, yeah. it, it makes for good viewing. But, but the thing is, is, you know, the craziness of it as well, you know, probably really grabbed me. And, and you know, you, you, to just try and put it into context, you know, could you imagine watching later with Jules Holland on seeing a band and they don't even get through the second song that they're there to, you know, to, to promote their record before they're completely smashing everything up? Yeah, it's not, it's not going to happen. It wasn't everybody. It was, it was Rascavies that was doing it. And I... Anyway, I remember it wasn't just you know, or even the smashing of it, but I remember it was that was my moment. It's like at the you know at the end, I was like, "That's it, I'm going to be a drummer." Yeah, nice. I bet. And that's where the and, and that's where the journey began for me with the instrument. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 such a cool story actually to find out how that's how you kind of decided that you wanted to play the drums. So where so what so go from then on? How long until you got your first drum kit, or until you played a set of drums? The, you know, it, was, it felt like a very long time, but in reality, it was probably under a year. Cool. I mean, as you can imagine, you know, I, I had this, you know, like moment of that's it, I'm going to be a drummer, but convincing my parents that I was going to be one, yeah, it's always that, that I, you know, that, that they should get me a kit was, you know, like was a was a job that was going to be was going to be time consuming and would take some undertaking, you know. 
exactly. but, uh, and especially after the guitar thing because of the you know the guitar incident and my dad being a musician and and you know as we know drums the noise the the, the amount of space they take of course natural my parents were you know were very reluctant you know <laughs> i think most parents but are I, want, eh? I think most parents probably are definitely Dan. You know, even kind of, you know, you know, musician ones, you know, musical parents, um, especially with the drums, you know, yeah. and I lived in a very small house. It was, you know, it's a cottage, you know, it's like a, you know, so there wasn't a lot of space and, and you know, the, you know, the noise of it all and everything as well. Yeah. But I kept badgering. I was persistent and, you know, and I was obsessed, you know, I was drawing pictures of drum kits. I was looking at pictures, you know, I sent away for catalogs, you know, anything like that. And then kind of sort of, you know, fast forward that close to a year and one of my uh, dad's friends who was a drummer must have decided he was retiring or giving up or something like that. And um, I suppose, you know, my dad must have told him about, you know, my my interest and, and whatnot in, in playing the drums wanting to play the drums and they must have come to some arrangement so the, the you know the, the the you know the the agreement i had with my dad was we would go round to this gentleman's house whose name was matty and um you know they, he would set up the kit and i would have a go and, and if i had you know a semblance of ability or you know rhythm mm. to me you know my, my dad would get the kit yeah. So, of course, you know, super excited we went round and, you know, and I jumped on the kit and I was able to knock out, you know, basic rhythm and a, a little feel. And, you know, I understood about, you know, the, you know, the relationship between the hi-hat and the ride cymbal in, in rock drumming, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was it. I got the kit. But, but of course, what I had been doing as well, like like every drummer was, I was tapping on everything and, I remember I had pens when I was in school and I'd, <laughs> I'd set up my books and, you know, my geography case would be a symbol and I'd be sort of, tap, 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 you know, yeah. tapping like that. Um, so it, it was a bit of a surprise to me when I got on the kit and I, I had some, you know, ability and organization that was, was, that was already in place. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how, you know, that's how it came for me to actually go from wanting to be a drummer to actually the next step of, Having a, having a drum kit, you know. Amazing. So yeah, that's great. And so, what was your first band then that you actually started, and and then kind of how did it progress from there? I know there's a long story, but you know, a shortened yeah, yeah. version of your story from from then to actually you know playing professionally. Well, my my first proper band, which was a band I formed with my friends called Alternative Attack. That kind of took me to sort of like to becoming, you know, if you will, you know, that band I worked from the, you know, the beginnings up until its inevitable ending when I started to play with more, um, you know, well-known punk bands of the day, if you like, um, not yeah. not like the likes of your damned and Killing Joke or New York Dolls, but English Dogs, Sacrilege, um, you know, they they were bands of that era, you know. By now we're talking more than mid eighties, well, like you know. For me, 87. Right, okay. So that was my first band. But I'd done stuff in school, you know, where I'd worked with a couple of other guys and, you know, we played in the local talent contest and, you know, kind of not won. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, that they were the first guys I played with. But my first proper band, which was, you know, a punk band called Alternative Attack, um, 
and that was with sort of slightly older guys, you know, because I was still, you know, I was still in school and, and uh, you know, so when I played my first proper gig, if you like, uh, you know, I was 15 nice. and that was with Alternative Attack. So that was really the beginnings of the journey, you know. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar, similar to me. I, I My first gig, well, my first gig in my own band was with a, a bunch of guys who were older than me. So, yeah, yeah. Sim- a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, I call, I obviously mentioned some of the, you know the the bigger acts that you've played with. Um, so I like I know we we could talk for hours about this, but what would you say were like your career highlights so far? The most memorable kind of times or tours or gigs or festivals or well, just. I mean, the highlights, you know, because I've I've spoken about this before. It's pretty consistent. Each highlight has been a milestone of doing, you know, for instance, that first gig. Yeah. You know, I I look back and still feels like a career highlight. You know, it's very, um, you know, it's very clear in my mind, you know, the whole gig. And and not, you know, not only because of the fact that I broke my hand a few days before the gig. Oh, no. What? Yeah. So I, I was hitching, you know, with, you know, the old thumbing Ooh. to go, you know, to a, a, a village just outside where I lived along a main road. And I remember I'd gone with a guitarist that few days before to buy an amp. And, you know, he'd come, we'd come back to, you know, to town. He dropped me off and he said, you look after those hands ready for Monday, you know, which is a funny night for a gig. But it was like, um, it was like a college social Christmas party or something. Okay. Uh, and I, you know, I remember his Monday. So, Anyway, I was hitching and, you know, and I had my hand out, you know, sort of as you go in, and a car hit my hand. Oh. Well, it actually hit my shoulder and I spun around and hit my hand. Oh, my God. So, uh, anyway, you know, the show must go on and all that. So, <laughs> so you know, with a lot of kind of, you know, sort of deep heat, um, painkillers and, and, and a few pints, actually. Oh, right. Uh, At that age. I, nice. Know, yeah, yeah. You nice. know, I, I got through it. But... But that felt like a highlight at the time. And I often look back at it and think, you know, yeah, you know, then maybe my first gig out in North Wales, you know, this is kind of going on, you know, two years or something. That felt like it. But, uh, you know, first time playing in Europe, first time playing for, a, you know, like a name band, you know, like when I first played for English Dogs and we played the gig and I thought, wow, I'm up here playing these songs, original songs to an audience. Yeah. I've come here to watch this band play these songs, you know. That 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 really felt like one. Um and then of course, you know, playing with Morrissey was a was a course one, you know, was a, a another highlight, but not so not just because of sort of say playing with him, but more because I'd always had this um dream, you know, or that set in my mind. I've always wanted to go to America, loved America, you know, loved the shows when I was younger, you know, the, the cop shows and whatnots and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I said this, you know, ridiculous thing, you know, in, in my own mind that I wouldn't go there until I, I played there. You know, my, <laughs> right, my okay. first time going to America had to be playing a show. Now, obviously, I wouldn't have minded where or how that happened, but that was, you know, how I wanted to do it. So going with Morrissey and, and, and sort of playing, you know, like the first Coachella festival. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. you know, was amazing. I mean, we did play, you know, like a couple of warm up shows before it, but, you know, so that we were, you know, 
in good shape for Coachella, but you know, that was, you know, like a, a hell of a moment, you know? Yeah. So what, what kind of year was that? Just to, that I'm was 99. To, 99. I'm trying to create the timeline in my head. See. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, by then, you know, we've kind of gone. I mean, I spent a lot of the 90s, you know, like in a band called War Dance. And, you know, we tour Europe and, you know, we there was a good scene in Europe for kind of, you know, hardcore and punk. But the scene in the UK at the time was, you know, was, was terrible, you know. Oh, right, so, okay. You know, your, 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 you know, your bread and butter work was in mainland Europe. So I spent a lot of time from, you know, cause I moved from North Wales to, to the city Peterborough when I'm in, in, in 89. And that's when things really started to, you know, the ante was up, you know, I mean, yeah. I was doing stuff before, you know, as well. So I was with Sacrilege and, you know, Sacrilege had a good deal. We were signed to, under one flag, which was a subsidiary of Music for Nations, and Music for Nations had Metallica and whatnot, yeah. of course. So, you know, it was as good as you could get label-wise and everything, you know. Yeah. But that was while I was still in North Wales. So, so that's kind of gone a bit back and forth on sort of my playing career. No, that's, but, that's all right. No, it's just it's inter- it's really interesting. Yeah, and then and then you know after that, you know, there's there. All of the artists that I played, but I mean, you know, I missed out the damned, of course, you know. Yeah. So before Morrissey, I got to play for the damned, the guys that <laughs> your hero, you know, you know that, you, where I'd got the you know, the uh, the whole thing that I was going to play. So, and, how, did, um, how did that come about? How, how did you kind of um, well, get the position, or did you audition? How did you find out? How did you find out they were looking for someone? And well, I was playing in a band called Jolt, and I mean. What what had happened was I'd done the whole European tour and thing with this band War Dance and who had been involved in since its inception until it finished in '96 and you know the the thing was is in you know all my years up to that then you couldn't think it being in alternative music of it being a musical career it just you know it just didn't exist you know <laughs> it's like none of those bands or anybody had major labels and that kind of backing. Um, you know, you, you might do kind of okay touring and, and, you know, and playing and working, but even then when you, when you came home and stopped, you know, you'd have to have other work or, or whatever, you know, and that's yeah. how I got into teaching actually, you know, that's another thing that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you will come back to it. Um, but, um, but, you know, about 96, when War Dance finished, you know, record labels, a major record labels were much more interested in alternative bands and music. By then, you know, the whole Nirvana thing had happened, Green Day, Offspring, yeah. you know, suddenly kind of, you know, punky or alternative, you know, or more high energy music was kind of the order of the day again. So suddenly I was seeing people that were having a career in it, not necessarily yeah. a long career, but something of a career. So I you know, decided that really what I needed to do, the obvious thing was kind of get myself, you know, in on the London scene or be playing in the London band and, and you know, and start doing what you have to do, you know, yeah. making connections and yeah, playing and stuff like that. So that's what I did. I, I actively started looking for, you know, like a band that was in London that I thought, you know, would suit and, 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 you know, that I would fit in with and that were popular, you know, or or even, you know, signed if, you know, you were lucky enough. Yeah. 
I know what you mean. And um, and I joined a band with, um, called Jolt, and the the main man of Jolt was a man. It was a guy called Mark Kedge who had formerly been in a band called Senseless Things, and they were you know a very popular band, and you know he was a uh, you know he was a great front man, and you know he just finished in this you know really you know really great band that were popular, so. You know, I, I uh, joined up with that band, and um, he, he decided then to kind of go more DIY and form his own record label. And that. Oh, right. okay. that gained a lot of respect, especially you know from you know the press and and you know and everything like that. So the band were popular. So you know we were going around, we were you know releasing records on the label, but he had a good publishing deal. So you know there was you know like proper money behind it and whatnot. Um, and we were doing that for two or three years, but we never landed the deal that he really wanted, you know, the the major record deal. And it was starting to sort of, you know, lose his momentum. But one of the shows that we uh, got to do was supporting the Damned uh-huh. at the Forum in Kentish Town in London. Nice. And the agent for Jolt was also the agent for the Damned and for Morrissey. All right, okay. So... There must have been something going on in the Dan camp, and it wasn't Rat Scabies who was drumming for them then. They had a guy called Gary Dreadful. The Dan had reformed a few years early without Rat Scabies. Right. And so they had this drummer called Gary Dreadful, and something must have been going on in their camp, you know? Maybe anyway. He was, maybe he was a dreadful player. He, he was. No, I don't know. He I don't was, know. You know, actually, well, he was dreadful for them. He, he wasn't the most, you know, the, the Dan has. Uh, I mean, I don't like to, um, you know, diss other drummers. And no, I'm not dissing him, no. actually. But he, he wasn't the most appropriate drummer for them. You know, that there's That's a it. style of playing that goes with the damned. And it's not just a, a style that, you know, a, a drummer can do. you really got to understand the nuts and bolts behind it. Yeah. And when I watched I actually seen him play the first show with them. I went to their first show when they were reformed. And nobody knew if it was going to be Ratscabies playing with them or not. You know? Right. Okay. But as soon as I seen this, the kid set up, I thought that's not Rat Scape. He's going to be playing tonight. No. You know, of course. You know. Oh. Yeah, we know the dr- the drummers. Are, I guess we would know yeah, this. Yeah, you could just tell kit. by the angle of the toms <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Well, how many them? How many toms there are and things like that. Yeah. 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 So so um, anyway, so we, we were playing this show, and and of course, you know, I was just made up to be on the same bill as the damn. That was. You know, complete fanboy. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we played, and and uh, and uh, and they played, and we watched them. And of course, because we had the access, you know, from playing after the gig, I went up to the dressing room, you know, and uh, I started talking to Rask. Um, Rask Davies, he was obviously wasn't there. So I told you, Captain Sensible. And uh, I, you know, the, I'd had a few drinks, and I was kind of, oh, you know, I started playing drums because of the damned and rat. And when I said rat, he groaned. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and I said, oh, I've said something, you know. And then he pretty much turned to me and says, you know, are you busy next? What are you up to next year? Are you busy? Well, simple as and, that. And I was kind of, uh, well, you know, kind of, in why? You know? Yeah. And it was all a bit sort of, you know, a bit sort of coy, I suppose, you know. 
But I was like, why, do you, uh, you need sort of me to drum? Well, well, you're looking for a new drummer? And he was like, you know, he, he said something along the lines of something was going on. Yeah. And then he gave me his phone number. Wow. So, when, you know, I left there with a friend of mine who was helping me. I was like, you know, I'm sure Captain Sensible just asked me if I'd be interested in playing for the Dan. Yeah. <laughs> you must have impressed him quite, that night. I couldn't quite be sure. Yeah. And then... And then he, my friend said to me, he goes, you know, it's weird. You know, Sensible and Vanian were watching you from the side, of the, were watching the band from the side of the stage. He goes, you know, Dave Vanian never watches a support band, you know? Yeah. But that obviously was what it was. Yeah, they must have they must have heard the drum drumming and thought, oh, that guy sounds good. Just go and check him out for a bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, possibly the agent had maybe said... Ah, uh, yeah, check this you guy know, out. Listen, you know, you've got a, a, the support band you're playing with, you know, have a look at their drummer, you know, or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so that's, that's how that came about. Great story. Really great story. Yeah. And then obviously, yeah. So you, yeah. So how long, how long did you stay with them? Well, I wasn't with, I mean, you know, I wasn't with a damn very long at all, really. I was under a year, but okay. because in the meantime, well, what happened was around that same time or even slightly before, while I was playing with this band, Jolt, we were, you know, playing all the kind of sort of places in London and, you know, there was always good turnouts. And I suppose, you know, when a band's got a reputation, you know, you know, the the hip people or the movers and shakers or whatever you want to call them go to these gigs, you know, it's in their interest too, isn't it? And, 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 you know, other musicians and whatnot to, you know, you know, hearing about a band, go and check them out and, one of the guys who came to one of the gigs before this whole damn thing was the guitarist from Morrissey, uh, one of the guitarists called Alan White. Right. And he'd come up to me after the gig, I was taking my gear apart, and he came up to me and was like, hey, man, you know, really enjoyed the set, lovely drumming. And um, I always remember he said to me, oh, well, you, you remind me a bit, some of the drumming parts you were playing Reminds me of, you know, some of the drumming off the cult, the love album, you know. Okay. And I was like, well, I know what it is because I've taken a part of one of those songs. Oh, right. Wow. So, you know, we started, you know, really chatting about that. And, and you know, and then he, he told me, you know, oh, you know, I, I play guitar for Morrissey, actually, and whatnot. So I was like, oh, cool. You know, and then, and then at the end of the conversation, you know, I sort of said the obvious thing of, you know, if you ever hear of any work or, you know, you know of anybody looking for a drummer, please, you know, bear me in mind. I'm always up for more work. And he was like, yeah, he goes, I will. He goes, I know I can get in contact through you, you know, through um, Mike Hink, which was the name of the agent, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, so not, when I was actually having a, you know, like a, 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 a you know, I keep doing this, it's probably because the screen's small, I can only feel it if I can in my hand action. Oh, when I was in the audition, which was also a bit of a um, uh, a rehearsal, really, because the audition was the whole set. Yes, yeah, so that's a yeah, it's a long yeah. The dam, long they audition. mentioned that you know that um, you know Morrissey was interested in using me to you know to play for him, you know. And I remember saying something quite derogatory, you know, like, oh, I'll never play, you know, for him or whatever, you know. And, and I didn't think I ever would. I, I certainly didn't think I'd ever kind of get any kind of invite to. Yeah. But towards the tail end of the summer, when I'd been in the damn a while, out of the blue, I just get invited to go and have a, 
you know, an informal audition for, for Morrissey. He, you know, what, what the word that I got was that Morrissey had been invited to play the first Coachella festival and he needed a drummer and I was given the date of the festival and would I be interested? So I was, you know, I checked the dates on the course. I thought, yeah, you know, like <clears throat> I haven't got anything in with the damned at that time. And, you know, I'd love to go to America. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> and play this festival, you know. So um, I was invited down for a very informal audition. It was so informal, I wasn't even given any songs to learn. Oh, wow. We were, you know, I literally went to, you know, down to the audition. And, and funnily enough, it was where Jolto was rehearsed. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit of a kind of typical, you know, crappy but functional rehearsal room studio complex, you know, in London. And uh, I knew Morrissey wasn't going to be there. It was just going to be a couple of the band members. It wasn't even Alan, you know, who had met at a Joel gig. It was, you know, like Boz Bura, who's, um, you know, like um, was or is Morrissey's, you know, musical director and Gary Day, the bass player. So I, I hadn't been given any songs to learn. I didn't know any of the songs anyway. Yeah. But one of the funny things when I went that day is I knew, like, you know, like all the kits, uh, you know, were crap. I'd, I'd used all the rooms, you know, mm. and I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, that kit's got the dodgy Tom Arm and yeah. you know, that kit's got the floor Tom that always sounds crap and whatnot, you know? Yeah, I know. And so when I got there, I was like, what room is it? And whatever, you know, room five. I thought, oh, yeah, okay, I know it's that kit. So I had, you know, what I needed, my breakables, like cymbals and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, this is an interesting point because, you know, it, 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 this was a good thing. So I went in and I was pretty sussed and organized, but the drummer who went in before me, who was like, you know, a, like, you know, a, a respected pro, didn't take anything. Uh. I suppose he was thinking it was all going to be laid on. And why shouldn't he? It was an audition for Morrissey, you know? Yeah. But of course, you know, he didn't have symbols or, you know, so he's probably having to use, you know, the crap that they had there or whatever. And he was probably, I suppose, flustered. Be, you know, so when I, you know, did my bit and there was somebody there videoing, basically, you know, right, I was okay. playing with a band and there was somebody videoing it and the video gets sent to Morrissey. And there was only three people invited to go down and try. Yeah. So, you know, I did my bit and you know, and played and it's like, know, what did they and, ask uh, you to play? Well, then? I got on well with the guys, and that was it. I sort of thought, well, you know, if you know, it doesn't matter if I don't get this, I'm playing in the band of my dreams, you know, it's mm. it's uh, I'm cool, yeah. But if I do get this little opportunity, grab it while it's there. And um, anyway, about a week or so later, Mike Hink, you know, the, the agent got in touch with me, said, Look, you know, I think it's highly probable or likely you are going to get called tomorrow saying that you've got the Morrissey gig, you know, wow. and I was like, Oh God, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. Goes, but you're going to have to make a choice who you're going to play for. And I was like, well, why is that? You know, it's, I've checked the dates. He was mm. like, no, you know, he wants you to join his band. It's your, you know, you're going to be his drummer. It's not just for a show. Mm. You know? And I was like, Oh God, you know, <laughs> So I had the sort of tw- 24 hours and I, you know, I was mulling it over and 
was thinking, oh, I was thinking, do I do it? No, I won't. You know, well, what's it going to offer? You know, what's the work? And and you know, with absolutely no disrespect to the damned, when I when I got the call, when I got the call offering it me, you know, I had been in the dam long enough to see that, you know. They went at their most organized at that time. You know, it was a bit of a, you know, a difficult time for them, I suppose. Okay. You know, they'd reform. They weren't used to being the kind of band that were DIY. You know, they obviously they, 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 they kind of come together where there was a lot more money from record labels and promotions. And, you know, that at that time they were, they were just going out and playing live, you know, and yeah. nobody was really interested in signing them, you know, certainly no majors and, yeah. So it was all a bit of a kind of, you know, disorganized and, you know, uh, you know, not their best period for them. I don't suppose it was for me. I was loving it. <laughs> it was yeah. like I was playing these great gigs, playing these songs. But but when I got offered the the Morrissey thing, when it was a serious offer on the table, you know, I had to look at what was there at that time. Yeah. You know, I, I had a young baby daughter, you know, all the usual trappings. And I had to sort of make my decision based on what was there and what I was being offered at the time. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think I would have left the dam if I hadn't conveniently worked out that a good friend, drumming friend of mine, uh, who was the original drummer of English Dogs, you know, who I'd oh. replaced 10 years before or whatever, and we'd become good friends and, and whatnot. Um, suddenly he became available. So, you know, I, I said, you know, you know, would you be interested in doing it? He was like, yeah, would I, you know, if, if you thought that there'd be any chance. And so I told him the situation and, and then I said, look, you know, cause, they had an, we had an American tour coming up with the dam, but I oh. still hadn't filled out any paperwork or anything, which shows the kind of chaos of it all. You oh, know? Right, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And, that, that's, um, right, imagine that's, because I've never done that myself, right? I know it's a long process, the visas and all that. It is, and yeah. I, I, you know, and it's complicated and it's expensive, you know? Yeah. Um, and so he said he was up for doing it, and then, you know, I found, I thought, well, you know, the, the best situation or scenario is, you know, is I, now is I take this opportunity and this offer, but I'm not letting them down. And, you know, and, and I'm putting yeah. somebody that's, you know, of equal capability in, in my place, you know. And, and he actually ended up playing with them for the next 20 years. Then, oh. So, oh, there you go. Here you go. So, you know, he fared a lot better time-wise than I did. But I had to work, you know, I had to work and make my decision based on, you know the time you know yeah, you don't, I don't have like sort of regrets or anything like that but no you know and i mean and of course you know then i went away at the time of my life you know playing you know around the world you know never mind just america that was just the beginnings of it you know yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and so that kind of carried on for a you know like a, a few years and and then the lineup changed and it became more American-based with the band. And, you know, because you're in as a, a session musician, you know, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not, it's not like a, you know, it's not a real band in that sense. If, yeah, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's a different. band that, that's playing at that time, you know, it's so. Yeah. So I learned a lot from that, of course, you know, and, uh, but yeah, so, you know, they're all highlights, but there's been highlights after. There's been, you know, like a lot of highlights after and, uh, 
you know, I mean, even what I was doing recently, even playing Bloodstock was a highlight, you know, yeah, yeah. a highlight after everything we've all gone through the past 18 months. Yeah, exactly. You know, that was a new highlight, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, and that's quite, you, I know you told me this in person, but how you ended up joining Memoriam, because musically, it is, I would say, very different to, you know, all the, all the bands you've been in previously, because... I'm not an expert on my metal, but I think you described it as a death metal band. Is that right? Well, yeah. Is, I mean, that's, you know, that's... What they call it. Where, where they categorize themselves. Old school death metal, in fact. You right. Know? Okay. I mean, I don't know enough about death metal to be able to differentiate myself. But no. <laughs> if this gives you a bit of clarity, I mean, when I was invited to, um, you know, to... First, I was invited to, to record the album, which was a bit of a surprise because really I'd spent the 15 or so years previously predominantly being a live drummer. You know, most of my work that was coming in was tours and, and like, you know, I'm just I'm playing live. And the bands that I were in, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was in a band called Conflict for 11 years, you know, that I, I've got, you know, like a, you know, like a strong legacy in the, you know, like the the second wave of punk, the eighties political punk, and you know they they can just always keep playing, and, and you know, and that's what they pretty much did. I never did any recording with them, hmm. uh, and then I even went round the world with Steve Ignorant from Crass doing a Crass set. You know that had never been he'd never done that, and we went everywhere. And that was a you know like a real highlight. You know, yeah, going yeah, yeah. forming those songs. You know everywhere, you know, where, where Crass never got to, you know, Crass never really toured, but again, their legacy because of their profile and their politics and their DIY ethics, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're serious legends. You know, you even see that their logo, you even see the likes of David Beckham wearing on a t-shirt, you know, oh, wow, probably yeah, unknowingly. Yeah. But... He probably doesn't know, yeah, he probably doesn't know what the hell is on him. Yeah. Is that all those Kardashians wearing Slayer t-shirts and stuff? That's right. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, so I've been, you know, pretty much, you know, active as a live player. Yeah, that is I was doing recording and bits and bobs, but, you know, it, yeah, it was a, it, when, when Memoriam got in touch with me, or Frank, the bass player who I'd worked with 30 years before in a band, in a band called Sacrilege, uh, I thought he wanted me for gigs. I just made that presumption. He was like, no, no, we, you know, we need you to record the, 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 the next album, you know. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, when is it? He was like, six weeks. And I was like, you know, that kind of seems like, you know, a fair amount of time, but you know, of course, everybody had holidays booked in and, you know, I did. In fact, I was on holiday and I had another holiday coming up, you know. So, nice. Uh, well, I was on a short break visiting my parents when I got the call. And so he said, I said, well, what, you know, I haven't heard Memorial, but I know, you know, you're involved. And what's it like? He said, well, it's like old school death metal. And I thought, oh, no, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> you know I, I know what that kind of, you know, the death metal playing, it's all blast beats and, you know, that's not my strongest, you know, forte playing wise. And, and I'm not overly interested in that kind of playing, you know? Yeah. But he said, you know, and respect to the people who do it, I know how committed they are to it. So I, I wouldn't be so, you know, even slightly confident to think, yeah, just give me a week or two and I'll be, 
you know, blast beating along with the best of them. You know? right, exactly. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like that. I'm like, I can't, I can't do that kind of stuff, but like, I know no, he, he I mean, is. It's a very, you know, it's a very developed and dedicated style of playing. And, and so I've got all the respect to the guys that do it yeah. and girls. Yes. But, um, he said, he said, well, I'll send you some of the stuff. And he, and he sent me, you know, like a, a couple of the tracks. And when I heard, I was like, oh, you know, there was no singing on them. They, you know, it was just based, the basic demos. And I thought, oh, hold on. This, you know, this is old school death metal. I can hear something in this. To, you know, to me, it sounded more like the, the old thrash metal that, you know, I used to play and love, you know. Yeah. So it was like, you know, I was thinking, okay, you know, I can hear, you know, I can hear a bit of Slayer in this and, you know, you know, a bit of sepulture, and you know, and, that, and I could even sort of, you know, utilize my, you know, my Exodus and Anthrax drumming influences in this kind of stuff, and definitely Dave Lombardo, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And so I felt, you know, when I heard it, I thought, okay, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's a meeting point here. This, this isn't as, as, as extreme as I thought, or as far removed from my own playing. So. I went and had a bash with one of the songs. I, I picked the song and went down my rehearsal room and and I, and, and I thought, right, what am I going to base my playing on? I thought, well, you know, let's think Lombardo with the feet and, you know, let's think a bit Neil Peart with some of the roles and, you know, and, and I tried something and I thought, you know what, this, this, this can work. Hmm. So, you know, I, I went back to the, you know, to Frank and so I said, yeah, you know, I've had a little go. I think I could do it. I'd like to do it, you know. And Great. so, you know, you know, sign me up for the for the album. You know, you've got a drummer if if you're happy that you're you're confident that I can do it. And he was. He, you know, there was no audition process. He was like, you know, I know you can do it. I know you learn songs quick. And that's cool. But of course, in reality, I had far less time to sort of listen to the material and learn it. But we had enough time in the studio. I mean, the Morima. You know, they've got a, you know, in the modern day sense of things, they've got a decent record label, you know, with, you Nucle know, with Nuclear the Blast, isn't it? it? You know, they're on Nuclear Blast, I believe. They were on Nuclear Blast, but now they're on Reaper. Oh, okay. Reaper Records, which, which is basically, from what I'm led to believe, when Nuclear Blast got bought out, a, a lot of, you know, like the core. People in nuclear blast in Europe have formed Reaper Records. Something's obviously happened. Yeah, interesting. Okay. And they've taken some of the well, you know, you, um, Memoriam had had fulfilled their three album contract, so they, you know, so they were opened and and Reaper, you know, the guy from Nuclear Blast knew this and and I know, get it. Basically, put an offer on the table that I guess matched Nuclear Blast, and the band felt well. You know, because Nuclear Bass is a very big label and they're a smaller band. So, you know, it, it makes more sense for them to go with a label where they get, you know, like a little bit you yeah. know, more prioritized. Yeah, you know, I, no, I, I totally understand that. More like yeah, more attention. I mean, we, we, we know the drill, don't we? It's yeah, yeah. Everybody does this, you know. So, so we've got a three album deal with them. So, you know, it was a decent budget. So I had time to record and, cool. you know, I'd worked about half the album out and was pretty concise. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. So they were the songs I did first and to get a feel. And then as, as we went later on, it was like, right, okay, you know, I'm going to need a couple of hours to, <laughs> to, 
to work on this, you know, in the morning and then we'll start recording. And, you know, Russ Russell, who was the producer and engineer, you know, he had plenty to be doing with cleaning tracks up or edits and all this stuff. So, so yeah. we got into like a really good, you know, little method of working, you know. But, but an interesting point with it is, you know, that again, with everything that's been going on with lockdown, when I was recording the album, none of the band were there. Yeah, this is a common, seems to be a common story because it was similar when we recorded our album. It was just me and my brother, who's the, who's the producer. And yeah. no, no one else was there when I played my drums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, ne I've never, I've never ever had that before, you know. And and so in some ways it's great because you're like, right, I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna put this in. If it works, great. But sometimes you really do sort of, you know, you're looking about thinking, I wouldn't mind some, <laughs> excuse me, I wouldn't mind somebody to bounce off to, yeah, to tell me that I'm going in the right direction or I'm going completely, you know, in the wrong direction. Especially in in your particular situation where you were playing for a, a band you never played with. At least with me, it's my own band. And, and I, yeah. you know, I've jammed, you know, I've been playing with them for years. So yeah, it must've been, yeah, we had not kind of getting feedback from a an actual band member saying, oh yeah, this is exactly what we want or, or this will, this is perfect or, or, that's no, right. so, or no, that's not what we had in mind. Uh, can you try something else? So yeah, yeah bizarre. Definitely. I mean, fortunately, because Russ Russell is very, you know, he's the man in that, you know, that a lot of people go to, you know, um, that, that play those more extreme forms of metal and whatnot. Right. You know, he he he's got a good ear, of course. You know, of course. but um, you know, it, it was a, it was an interesting experience. But but you know, he liked and um, we we bonded over Neil Peer. Because when I was setting my gear up, I, 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 you know, and when I was doing a bit of the rehearsal before, I decided to to add some concert toms, you know, oh, so cool. that I could do the kind of the big rolls round, you know. And um, as I was setting up, he goes, oh, I'm going for a bit of a Neil Peart vibe. And I was like, yeah, exactly. you like him? And he <laughs> said, yeah, <laughs> I really like him. Who doesn't? So, yeah. so I thought awesome. to myself, well, you know, I was like, cool, that's good because... I've got a fair few sort of, you know, like Neil Peart inspired bits. And the first song we recorded had a couple of, you know, like of those mighty style right round, you know, the whole kit rolls. Yeah, know? I know. You and um, when I was doing it, he was laughing. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's great. So it was a really good way to to start the session and it instilled a lot of confidence in me to, to feel comfortable to try stuff, you know, and yeah, yeah. But I was trying to bring a lot of stuff to the, you know, to the record that I thought, you know, would you ever hear this in death metal? You know, there's a song where I'm playing the beat that's got press rolls in it and stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> that's very cool. I had, a, I, 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 I wish I'd listened to the whole album before this interview, because um, I guess we've um, I did another one last week. I think it was Friday. Um, yeah, so like I. I haven't prep prepared as much as I would normally do in terms of listening to your back catalogue, but I, I stuck some of it on this morning and uh, my wife's working in, in the next room. I said, oh, I know, oh. It's, I know it's a bit early, but I'm going to be putting some noisy music on that you're not going to like for, for yeah. a little while. But yeah, I thought it was really cool. It was really like, groovy. Like, Yeah, well, the thing is, is that, you know, probably like many of us, you know, I, I love all sorts of drumming and, and I try to bring it, you know, a little bit of it all to the table. Yeah. You know? It's like, you know, 
I'm not afraid to sort of, you know, like that pressure thing ended up sounding like a bit of a Steve Gadd inspired, nice. you know, drum rhythm. It's not a kind of complete rip off of Steve Gadd and it's not meant to be. And it's not, and of course, you know, it's in a completely different musical style, but, um, but you know, I love Will Cahoon from Living Color and I, and I love a load of the sort of funky drummers. So yeah. I like it to have a certain bounce. I like it in my punk drumming, you know, I like it to have a bounce. It's, I I don't like it when sort of things sound sort of clumsy and kind of, you know, like sort of labored, you know. I, yeah, I, I, know I like mean. jazz drumming, and, you know, I really love jazz drumming. And, and so these things are in my mind, even when I'm playing a death metal song, you know. And so it's interesting that you said that it sounded quite bouncy or whatever, because yeah. it, that's what's translating. And I'm glad that it is. You know, I'm glad that you said that. No, definitely. I, I, I'll stick the rest of it on later. But the, yeah, the first couple of tracks and i was like oh this is obviously it was heavy but it was i was expecting like you mentioned more like like i said i don't know enough about metal so any listeners who are proper yeah. metal fans i'm an idiot i you know if it's not one of the big four i probably don't know where you are so like <laughs> I, I, i'm really not i'm not really into my metal but i was expecting like more kind of blast beat fast kind of yeah, yeah lot, lots just... of double kick drum kind of stuff i was expecting yeah. that and uh and but it was like yeah, just kind of like groovy. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad that comes across. Yeah. Of course, there is a hell of a lot of double bass drum in there. Yeah, there's definitely... In comparison to what I'm normally used to doing, I mean, I've had to work my ass up on my double bass drum in, you know, since, you know, since it, you know, and I'm still doing it. And, and that gig in Bloodstock, I suppose, was, was kind of co the culmination of the test yeah. of my work over the past year, really, you know? It's amazing. I, I imagine you would have come on so far. And I think having been in that position um, kind of forced you into, obviously, I presume hours and hours of practicing double kick drums and, and, and different kind of patterns. That's that, right. That's forced you to do it. And now you've done it. And now you've got those skills. And you can, you, you'll, you know, presumably you'll always be able to do something to that kind of level in the future now, which is great. Well, yeah, I hope so. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping on, keeping on with it because, of course, I don't feel I'm quite there yet. Uh, you know, it, it, you it's, know what it's yeah. like. It's like anything you develop. It's like, okay, can I play that song? Yeah, I can. You know, okay, there's this song. It's, it's faster. You know, okay, I've got to work towards that. Then yeah. so I've got, now I've got to play a set. You know, yeah. uh, and, and you know the old, the, 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 the original drummer. You know, he played an awful lot of double kick. You know, so, you know, so. It's a staple part of their, you know, the band's sound, the part of their diet. And, and interestingly, yeah. when when I got sent the demos, Scott, who you know is the main songwriter, he does some great drum programming. It's not all, you know, it's not kind of like the done deal, but you can take a lot from it. Yeah. But I was like, you know, before when I was just earning them, I was like, well. How much do you want me to stick to the parts? Because you know they're good. You know what what you've already done, and they were like, "Well, try anything you like, but make sure that the double bass drum parts are in it." All oh, right. So, yeah, because so I, I, well, I can, I can I, I'm open to do what I like, but as soon as it launches into that double kick, that's got to stay. Yeah, <laughs> that's because obviously the, I'm assuming the, the guitarist or whatever writing the riffs, writing them with the double kick is going to match this or, you know, the, or this double kick pattern is, 
Yeah. So yeah, so I can understand from you know the songwriting point of view, like they they kind of want yeah. to keep that. Yeah. That's right, because you know it, it adds kind of a you know it, it, it's where a lot of the weight comes from for the parts. But yeah, the other the other thing with them, you know, and, and you'll know this as well, Dane, and any other drummers that do this kind of stuff will know that it's not just about the playing the parts. It's you know it the, the parts are for long sections. You know, yeah. it's like. I mean, like, you know, the, the first two songs we play live in a set have pretty much got, you know, the consistent, you know, double kicks going on. And that's like going on eight, like eight minutes. Yeah. It's not just about the playing. It's about can you keep it going? It's it's a marathon. You it know? is. Yeah, yeah. Was it what kind of out of interest? I'm always because my, my double kick technique is not great and I'm working on it a little bit. I haven't worked on it as much as I should. But what, what kind of foot technique do you apply? Because there's lots of different ones, isn't there, to kind of a, to get to that speed. What do you use personally? I, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> well, I mean, it's a work in progress. But, mm. you know, I tend to work with a kind of, you know, the, the, the typical heel up, but trying to sort of work from, you know, from, from I mean, I'm doing it with my hands, but... Yeah. But from 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 the ankles to a point. Yeah. I mean, you know, my my legs are still moving, but what I'm trying to do is find it where it feels somewhat free floating. Yeah. So you you're know, not you're not using your leg so muscles feel, as much. A little much. bit like your hands, where you sort of feel like you know you can kind of keep it going. There's not there's not a bit there's not a lot of unnecessary work going yeah. on. Yeah. 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 That's I think that's that's the that's the trick to it is. Uh, from what what I've kind of the research I've done, especially with like ankle technique to apply the, to get to those speeds, you don't want to be using your calf muscle too much. A little, I think you no. need to you, you need to use it a little bit to to get the movement, but and you definitely don't want yeah. to be using your up, upper leg in any way. Not muscle, obviously your knees need to move. But you don't yeah. want to be using those muscles. And yeah, it's, it's it's really strange, especially if you've been playing for so long and you're trying to adapt. You're kind of unusual. Right. Yeah, it's, it's hard, but yeah, there's, I, I find it fascinating because I don't play that kind of style of music, but I would like to be able to at least get my speed up a bit, maybe a bit more yeah. in, independence with the left foot. And I, I suppose the only time you're ever going to do that is if, when you really have to, isn't it? I've always felt yeah. the same. I mean, I played, you know, like, you know, well, double, you know, like uh, double pedal really as a, you know, opposed to sort of double kick. Um, for you know, thirty years, and I, you know, and I've always had a certain amount of ability with it, and I'm all right with it. Mm. But you know, I've and I've always wanted to have sort of more ability, but I've never pushed it until really till last year. That's great. When I thought, yeah. Well, I've got to, you know. But I, I like, I like the challenge. When, 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 you know, I, you know, was offered or put in there, you know, like a offer the opportunity i thought you know what this is a really good opportunity yeah finally knuckle work, down you know to push my feet this is my reason now you know i have to do it yeah so maybe, maybe i need to maybe maybe i need to join a death metal band to get my yeah, skills get, up are you and your brothers write a death metal song yeah. i just know they wouldn't they wouldn't want to do that i don't think i oh. don't know it's not their thing it's like like it's not really much like i appreciate it and some sometimes if i watch it live i'm like wow this is amazing but it's just not my, it's just not my thing. Like, no. but I think, yeah, if I, if I was in that position um, and I'd be like, right, I've got a deadline. I've got to achieve this by then. You would, you know, you'd find the time to work on it when you. Hi, I hope you're enjoying this episode of drum for the song. 
I just wanted to briefly interrupt the interview to tell you about my Patreon page, which is a place where you can support the podcast and, of course, support myself. You can um, sign up to one of the three tiers on there. There's one that's £3 a month, one that is £5 a month, and one that is £10 a month. There are loads and loads of exclusive benefits to signing up, including bonus episodes, merch discounts, Christmas card for myself. Um, If you sign up to the top tier, I'll send you a pair of my drumsticks. Um, Loads of other stuff, so go check it out. It's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. And um, another way you could support me if you're interested, if you're not bothered about the Patreon thing, if you go to my official website, drumforthesong.com, you can send a donation via PayPal. So, um, yeah, thanks for watching this and enjoy the rest of the show. Drum for the Song podcast. You know, something, I mean, you know, this is like just a small part of what I love about playing. I love the, you know, the extremities of, you know, the, the styles, you know, it, it's something that I've got on off on, uh, you know, since, since I was young, you know, it, it's like, I think I've told you before, I mentioned, you know, that I played for HR from Bad Brains. Yeah, yeah. You know, now he, that was like, you know, another one of those career highlights because, you know, they've been my favourites, you know, since back in, you know, when I not long started playing. I mean, you know, they, they used to blow me away with that punk and, you know, how, you know, beautifully they would go from that to the, you know, to playing these lovely reggae tunes. And, um, you know, and I've always, you know, that was my first um, opening to playing different styles of music. You know, I remember mm-hmm. when I'd been playing a few years, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, an okay punk, hardcore punk drummer, but I can't do anything else. It's, yeah. you know, I've been playing the instrument a few years and, and I decided that I wanted to, you know, I thought reggae would be good because, you know, a lot of punk bands had that kind of connection with it. And there's a, you know, a, there's a, that whole thing with that. And I was a big fan of Bad Brains. And, and so I started, you know, trying a little bit at home, trying to play. And then there was a local bunch of guys that were more hippies, really. There was no Rastafarians in Hollyhead. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, there, there were these bunch of guys that loved reggae that were older than me. And, and they, were, they were looking for a drummer. And, uh, you know, I got involved with them. And it was a really great opportunity to to try and play this different style. But as soon as I started doing it, I realized just how incredibly difficult it is when you're playing a musical instrument. You know, you can't take it for granted that, okay, I'm an able musician, so I can play like this. That, that doesn't happen at all. No. You know, I'm sure you know. So when I first started trying to play reggae, you know, everything, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to play a one drop, but, you know, it's, Incredibly I, I, confusing when you come from the world of rock. You yes, know, that it's another you're effectively world. Effectively putting the bass drum down where you'd normally put the snare. Exactly. And yeah. then you know when you side stick, you, you you know you you're you're playing around it, so it's almost like the you know that the limbs change. And you know once you get a feel for it, it becomes more natural. But to begin with, it's you know it it's a completely you know it's a mind fuck. You know. Yeah. Yeah, no, like like you said, coming from rock and punk, it's completely alien. And I, I've never really spent enough time trying. Like I can kind of do a, a really blagged 
you know, bass drum on three kind of vibe, you know, but I'm not, yeah. it's not, it doesn't sound authentic in any way. And I'm just doing my own kind of version of it. I've never, again, I've never been in that position where I've had to learn to no. play a reggae song. And I, I, cause I, I never had did the, the lessons and the grades. I didn't really, I think they do teach a bit of it. I think maybe in the, in the rock school stuff um, that we they have in the UK. Very it it gets it? very, very, you know, like there's lots that gets overlooked in the kind of world of educational drumming i think and reggae is one of them it's yeah you know everybody loves Stuart copeland yeah exactly you know, which is kind of for a lot of people could be their introduction to 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 reggae drumming i mean he doesn't play reggae per se no but he's taken a you know i mean to me Stuart copeland is a a great example of you know like you know basically merging two styles i mean you know he was coming at it very much from an energetic point of view, from the punk drummer, you know. Yeah, yeah. Beyond the rock drummer, you know, he's, he's very sort of edgy and pushing forward. But then he was using like all these tricks of reggae drumming, and you know, and then, you know, he blended them together, and you know, the the next thing you you kind of got one of the most influential drummers of the you know the twentieth century, you know. Well, exactly, and then and that, I think that is he was such an important part of what made the police sound so unique i think the the you know obviously sting's incredible as well um but yeah it, it's just so unique and i think that drum not just the the, the style but the sound that he's achieving as well right. and um yeah i mean imagine great. if they didn't have someone like Stuart copeland yeah, you know, I, yeah it's like how would it you know how would it work out but if it was just me playing four four beats or whatever it wouldn't be the same you know because you know, I mean, obviously they're all good musicians, and you know, Sting, you know, uh, you know, like has proven to be, you know, like a, you know, uh, a magnificent songwriter. Yeah. He's got great sounding voice, and you know, and and it, and it all worked sort of really well with him. So, but but going back to me playing with HR, when when I had to learn the set, you know, it, it was like right, get my reggae head on, mm. you know, so. You know, I, I was learning these songs that I'd grown up with that I loved because, you know, for those who don't know, the set that I did with HR was, you know, it was predominantly a reggae set. He's, yeah, he's kind of, kind of done with a fast and hardcore and, you know, full on aggressive music. And, you know, so, so I knew it was going to be essentially a reggae gig, you know. Yeah, and you've got some of that on your YouTube channel, right? I have. Anyone... I've got a couple of songs on my YouTube channel. So, yeah. You know, it's there for people to check out. But, you know, getting my head back into that and, you know, devising a little setup. And because, you know, there's things you don't need and things you do need. You know, you don't need a ride symbol with reggae. Do you know? Okay. I no, didn't know that. There's oh, hardly wow. any ever ride symbol. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's very occasional. But I mean, it's, you know, I think I've heard it like sort of maybe two or three used two or three times in the thousands of reggae songs. Oh, wow. I, I see. I didn't yeah. even know that. That's crazy. No, yeah. But you do yeah. need a tip. Well, you don't need, but it's a very good idea to have a Tim Barley. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually own one of those, actually, which is a shame. No, you but, don't? Uh, I don't know. I don't have one. I, oh. You can kind of achieve a similar sound with like a, a snare. Yeah, I could yeah. have a side <laughs> snare, knock the snare off and tune, tune right. it up. Yeah, similar. Kind tune of. it up a bit. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so you know, little things like that, you know, so it's it, you know, devising getting the sounds I wanted, and because you know, I knew we we weren't going with the sound man, you know, couldn't trust on how mm. you know they might 
you know, dub the sound up. I wanted to get a lot of sound. So, you know, I, I put a wood block and cowbell, you know, in, in, in a place that I could play a little simple percussive, you know, additional parts. And I had the splash cymbal on top of a crash, you know, just things to create different sounds. Nice, nice. Um, you know, my timbale was where you'd have your floor tom. Okay. And then the floor tom. So the floor tom would be like, you know, where a second floor tom would be. Interesting. So, you know, again, coming from a rock drummer's perspective, it, it, it's, you know, it's a different way of thinking, you know? Yeah. That's good. It's good. I think, it, like, I don't do it at all, and I should, but it's really good to sit yourself down behind a different kind of setup, and it makes you think differently. And play, you'll, you'll probably get different ideas from being in that position. And I think, sadly, because of the variety of music I've been playing the last kind of 10 years has been quite similar. I've had a very similar setup all that time. And and even my like electric kit that I've got in my practice room, I've got an extra tom on that, actually. And that throws me off sometimes. But it is, it's kind of like I don't really experiment enough to change it up. And like, yeah. and like I'm, you know, I'm getting older now. I, maybe I should at least try some things. I might find something I really like. Well, I think that the thing is, you know, from my perspective, you know, it's, you know, if, if you're not forced to do something quite different musically, there's yeah. not a reason to, is there? I suppose, yeah. I mean, fundamentally, my kit is the same. It's, you know, the way I have it set, you know, with the two rack toms but offset. Yeah. You know, the, the the two crash symbols, you know, the, the China to the right, you know, like, like you know, like a lot of rock drummers, you know, that's basically it. But then it's, you know, like, of course, I go to Memoriam. So now I've added the two, you know, extra concerts on an extra set of hi-hats on the, on the right hand side of the kick. They're doing so much double kick. And, yeah, that's, that's cool. You know, and I put a China, you know, like sort of a small effect China where I'd normally have a splash symbol, you know, because the splash just obviously isn't cutting it in that kind of music. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I still like having something to hit there. So it's just really about adapting your fundamental kit. And yeah. I mean, one of my favorite drummers is a, a drummer called John Wright from a band called No Means No. He's an incredible oh, wow. punk jazz drummer. You know, they're kind of like punk, punk jazz. jazz. <laughs> um you know, intricate, clever, great musicians, you know, really good musicians. And the, the, he and his brother, Rob Wright, the bass player, the brothers, you know, so they kind of got that, you know, thing going that you must know that I'll never experience. Yeah, you know, yeah. The brotherly thing, but amazingly sort of telepathic towards each other and they're playing and that. But he never changes his setup, Dane. Oh, right, okay. You, know, you can see footage from him from 1986. I mean, they've split up probably about eight or nine years ago. But the last time I seen him, same setup. Oh, he don't have this weird, not weird, but this old Ludwig Tom Tom that he was using kind of like a timbale. Ah. You know, always in the set, always in the same place, always the same setup, you know, always set up the same you know you'd look at it you know and you could think right there's 20 years difference between this footage and this footage and you know even the symbol height hasn't slightly altered or, or, or the angles of the symbols uh -huh. haven't changed you know fair enough ah oh, fair enough so, i don't, I don't feel too no bad that. if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah i guess yeah exactly yeah that's fair enough so uh, let's let's talk you know you've mentioned that you're, you're a teacher as well yeah um so I, I always talk about it on the podcast. I've never fe felt confident enough to really get into teaching. Um, 
maybe one day, but like, cause I was, no one ever really taught me. So I feel like I don't want to teach people bad habits or I feel like, am I going to have the knowledge if they ask me something and I don't know or how to do this? And, and I, I never really had the confidence to do it. Yeah. But, you know, you coming from the background that you did um, as well. How did you kind of get into it? You kind of do it now when you're not on tour as well from your studio. Um, is there, have you got any advice to anyone who might want to start teaching like myself or, you know, might want to get to that stage where they could teach? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, I think that, you know, if, if you have, you know, the want to do it, then you you should do it. Mm. You know, that, to, you know, to let's begin with that. But the first thing is, you you know, you should want to do it. It shouldn't be a, like a kind of a force into this or, yeah. you know, oh, you know, you know, I, I've been doing it long enough. I, you know, I'm going to give lessons or whatever. They're not the right reasons. No. But, I mean, you know, it, it was a needs must for me. I, I'd made the move from North Wales to, you know, to Peterborough to sort of be somewhere I mean, you know, I wasn't in the thick of it in London, but I'd made the move, you know, mainly to to just try and progress as a, you know, uh, as a person and as a player, you know, and, and, and to have some, you know, semblance of a future, you know, which musically I knew I couldn't do in North Wales. Um, and of course, you know, as I was saying, you know, around that time, I knew, you know, from how things were at that time, which is the turn of the 90s, uh, I couldn't, you know, have a career playing the kind of music I wanted to play, you know, like I said you know, earlier in this interview. So, yeah. you know, I knew of other people that were doing teaching and I thought, you know, that that's a good thing. You know, it's, it's a good way of being in control of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd always followed this punk ethic of, you know, you know, you know, DIY, do it yourself. You yeah, know, yeah, find yeah. ways, you know, create your own work, you know, find ways to be of use, uh, you know, offer a service, whatever, you know, you know, I've always, you know, I've taken that on board from the likes of crass and, you know, be, you know, be your own authority and, and all that. So, so I came to Peterborough and I had a couple of, and I needed work, you know, I, I didn't have, it was one of the driving forces from North Wales. There was just simply no work there. Yeah. And then when I moved to Peterborough, I, I you know, I, had a couple of sort of lame jobs and then I thought no I haven't come here to do this you know I want to be I want to be kind of involved on my instrument that's what I've come for to play music and and you know and, and work you know with with my instrument of choice the drums so I thought that a good thing to do would be to teach as well so I, I was seeing other people doing it locally and people that I was involved in musically here so I basically just started by, you know, a couple of people would see me play and they would be like, you know, just give lessons. And I sort of thought, well, I don't, but, you know, maybe I should. And yeah. So then I bought, you know, I got some books, something I'd never done. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, like a, a teach yourself to play drums and, and teach yourself to read. So I started really, you know, immersing myself in that. The Rhythm Drum Magazine at the time happened to have this, feature monthly how to learn to read music yeah, so yeah. i was looking at that i was looking at books i was looking at i, I learned the book you know i sort of went through it and so it's all right okay yeah quarter notes eight okay crotchets are quarter notes you know quavers are eight okay this is a rhythm you know that yeah that's how this looks okay oh odd time signatures oh seven eight i get it it's seven eight notes you know so mm. i was 
I was educating myself and trying to be, you know, like, you know, considerably a number of steps ahead than the people I was teaching. And yeah. I developed and developed and developed. So I'm self-taught as well, you know. Okay, so yeah. it puts an interesting perspective on it because, you know, sometimes you find yourself teaching and, you know, you sort of think, wow, you know, this works. I, I should embrace this myself in my playing. Like, for instance, when you're learning something to play much slower, yeah, it's something when you're so taught you don't do. You tend to try and learn it at performance level. Do yeah, you know what I mean, like gotta break it down. This, you know, this feel You know, then you try go. Okay, yeah, I'm getting it. You know, and that's just doing it. That's self-taught because you're doing it almost like singing a part. You know, if you were doing it more from an educated point of view, you might read it. Yeah. Or you might look at the notes or you might use accounting, you know, you know, and, yeah, and, and actually find where the notes actually are and what are the 16th notes or what's the eighth note or, you know, or whatever, you know. So, so it's, you know, the, 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 the teaching side developed up, you know, just by doing it, you know, okay. and, and always trying to make sure, you, you know, you were a step ahead. And, and of course, you know, in the, in the meantime, you know, I, I've now gone for lessons here and there. If I feel there's an area I'm playing, I want to, you know, I want to um, improve on, or I want better knowledge of, I'll, I'll go for a lesson. You know, cool. it's, yeah. you know, I mean, it's not in a sort of being taught, taught sense, but it's just like, you know, I've gone to Steve White, you know, for help with my jazz drumming, and he's helped me enormously. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, because that's, yeah, that's, that's the thing. If you can't do something... Obviously, there's lots of stuff online these days, but it's not the same as being in there either on Zoom or in the room with someone you can actually talk with in real time and they can show you what you're doing wrong or what, how, you know, because you can, you can sit there watching YouTube every day. And if, you, if you're stuck, all you can do is keep watching it, the same thing. Well, you, can't, it, you can't ask him, oh, I'm struggling with this bit. Can you help yeah. me? Yeah, and, I know. And, you know, it's never going to come back to you and say, look, then, you know, see your hand there. You, you know, it's going too far back. Yeah, yeah. And that might be the issue in, in, in a particular thing you're playing. Yeah. You know, like for me, it was like with Jadrum. And as an example, I, I went once to Steve's and I was I, I was learning this Buddy Rich song, you know, and I, and I showed him. I had about 80% of the song sorted, but I wasn't 100%. But I showed him what I had. And, you know, and, and um, you know, we were discussing it after. And I said, look, you know, the thing is, is I don't know how hard or how lightly should I be playing the bass drum, you yeah. know. And he says, you know, so we, I, I, he said, well, play the part. So I started playing the part. And he was going, you know, quieter, quieter. <laughs> and then in the end, I real, you know, it's what's called feathering. Feathering, you know? yeah. I and, that too. And, and, and I realized it was like, so much quieter than what I was doing. Now you're never going to get that from YouTube, you know, because you, I could watch that on YouTube, but you know nobody's going to come back and say Spike, that's great, but the bass drum's way too loud. Yeah, you're exactly. Playing all the parts correctly. Yeah. But you know the level of the bass drum is is way so. I've just got something on my screen. Here. Yeah, the the, <laughs> the dynamics. Level of the yeah. Bass drum is just it's just too loud. So. That's what, you know, being in a room with someone can offer that, that, you know, the YouTube thing never can. It's no. like the amount of times that I'm, I'm with somebody in here and I'm saying, look, you're playing all those notes correctly on paper, but it sounds wrong. 
Yeah. And what it is, is, you know, it could be just the way that they've got the limbs. You know, the hi-hats are too loud, the snare's too quiet, yeah. would be a, 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 an obvious one. Again, you know, you're only going to get this when you're with somebody, you know, that, that you trust, you know, to help you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always say, I always say maybe I, I give it a go or it's, it's like, I did buy some books, but like, I know. I, it's, I, I, like, I am, I have, I, like, I got a music A level and, and I, I, I did a uni, uni course on. That's something I'll never music. have. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. But like, I, no, I can, I can, I'm not saying I can read the music because I'm not a sight reader in any way on any instrument. No. But I, I, you know, I, I've got the qualifications enough and I've learned enough theory of music to kind yeah. of understand it all, but I've never been quick enough to kind of you know what? work it on. I don't have the patience. Sight reading is another talent yeah. again, and not yeah. one I possess, you know. And, and no. I suppose a lot of people that you know can read okay would say, but you know, that there's obviously holes in my knowledge as well. But mm. again, you were sort of you know, when you mentioned earlier, you know, that at a point where somebody asks you a question where you don't know it, you have to be honest, yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. I had somebody come for lessons with me, or and you know, they wanted to be working on, you know, quite highly developed Latin drumming. And I was like, look, I'm not your man for this. Yeah, you know, I, I do know a bit with Latin. And he'd see me playing some sort of, you know, sort of, jazz, you know, latin jazz. And that's why he got in touch with me. But, you know, when, when he came to me, he was like, you know, I could have helped him with his playing, but he wanted to be playing in that specific area. Yeah. You know, so I was like, well, you know, there'll be somebody out there that's better suited for that. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. help with your general drumming because, you know, I could have been saying, you know, again, pointing out, look, your foot technique here or the hand technique there. But, you know, there was, you know, no point me thinking that uh, I could help him develop his Latin drumming because he was doing pretty well with that already, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's, you know, sometimes you've got to be kind of open to that don't you it's like you know it's like an older you, you, you know when you see these older uh you know older more developed jazz drummers well you know if you're a, a young lad like you you know or i when we we young that's not the most suitable teacher for us you know yeah yeah i know yeah exactly so, but but for some it is for some they're just like you know some people are like you know they're they can work with that, but for others, it puts them off. You know, yeah. you, you, you sometimes have to have somebody like-minded. I mean, I don't like it when sort of maybe somebody might come to me saying like, you know, I love punk drumming, just show me punk drumming. I'm like, well, I'm not interested in showing you punk drumming. I'm going to show you, you know, good quality, you know, everything that's needed to, to, to be as good a quality drummer as you can be. Yeah. You know, we, we'll adapt it to punk drumming. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm going to show you some jazz. You know, because I think that I'm not going to sort of do it where I somebody that new comes to me that wants to learn punk. I'm going to go, no, I'm not doing punk. I'm going to do jazz. But I'm going to sort of say, you know, this is what it's made up of, you know. So, yeah, you know, you want to have that good bounce where we're going to have to do a bit of jazz, you know, because that's what's going to create the momentum for your playing. Yeah. Or, you know, let's listen to, you know, let, or let's learn to play. Let's learn to have some ability with rudiments. You know, mm. it's going to be handy for your drum roll. And, you know, whatever you know, it's it's utilizing all aspects of drumming, but bring it in, bringing it into the playing or the musical style that you want. Because you know, we all know that the greatest players—that's what they do. Yeah, know? exactly. 
No, man, that's great. That's great. Thanks for that. Um, I wanted to ask you about the D beat next, because I never even heard of a D beat until you mentioned it to me at, at Bloodstock. Because apparently yeah. I was practically playing them, or I made close yeah. to close to what they are, but I'd never even heard of the term before. So I thought I was really interested in this. So I'm sure the listeners would be as well. So can you explain what it is a little bit and the kind of the, the roots, or some maybe some examples of? I know, yeah, I know. Well, you... the D beat, the D beat is a, is you know like a, a a very specific little pattern. It's very simple and raw, and um, again, you know. I've got I've done a little series on DB on my YouTube channel that you know people can find. It's just I might as well say it now, I suppose, you know, youtube.com and my name Spike T. Smith. Yeah. But I've done some instructional stuff on it and some more developed stuff. But the DB is a pattern that you know primarily came to the fore with a band called Discharge. And it's a very simple little pattern, you know, it's you know the 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 Fundamental of the pattern between the bass drum and the snare drum is kind of um, that initially is even played with the right hand following the bass drum because the way it's come about is, and I, again, you know, like I go through this in, in one of my documentaries, is was two drummers was you've got Tej Roberts from Discharge, right. you know, and, and the reason it's called DB, by the way, is I suppose it's simply discharge beat. Ah, you know? okay, right, okay. And and what it is, is they released three EPs, you know, like in quite a short space of time, you know, in 1980 going into 1981. And out of about the 12 songs on those three EPs, they, that, that rhythm is in about nine of them. Oh, right, know? okay, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so it became kind of you know, like kind of like a very important part of the sound. And, and, you know, for those that don't know, Discharge really, you know, created a new sound within punk. They took it from punk to hardcore punk. Yeah, because that's, that's I'm a, I'm fairly aware of the differences, but how would you describe what, if a band's a punk band and a band's a hardcore punk band, what makes, what makes them into a hardcore punk band musically? Well... I'll, I'll answer that, but just to go back yeah. one yeah. step, the, the drummer from the Buzz Cult also played the very same beat. So when I was starting to do the documentary on, on the DB, I knew, you know, with my knowledge of it, if I just, you know, focused it on this chat, people would be, oh, they weren't the first to do it. The Buzz Cults, you know, released mm. it, you know, did it, you know, on this song two years before or whatever. And I thought, and I thought to myself, I thought, well, I know this. Yeah, yeah. You know, but so I'm going to interview John Maher from Buzzcocks and find out about it with him, you know. Um, but as I point out in the documentary, Buzzcocks, it wasn't a staple part of their sound. You know, out of the three albums and numerous singles they did in their early, in their early incarnation, it probably only appears in two songs. Right. Whereas with Discharge, as I said, out of the, you know, the 12 songs that make up their first three, you know, records, it's in about nine of them. So they had based the sound on it, you know? Yeah, totally. Now, to answer, if I can, and I mean, you know, you know, I'm not necessarily the most qualified to do this, but my, you know, my um, my thoughts would be what defines, you know, like it turning into hardcore punk from punk would be basically 
the aggressiveness, the intensity, the rawness, the tempo. Right. Um, you know, almost kind of, I don't want to say less tuneful, but the singing's more shouty. Yeah. And you're probably more reliant on the guitar riff to be the melody. Okay. All right. You know, yeah. so, you know, you know, when you hear a song, you know, like, like say, like even what you hear with me with Memory, when you, you know, like as an example, this is a different thing, but with death metal, you, like you said, oh, it's quite bouncy. I was thinking it's going to be more like this. Well, you know, Carl, the singer, has obviously got the death metal vocal style, but the tune is in the riff. Yeah, I, that but makes sense now. Writes catchy riffs, you know? Yeah. And, and when I first heard Discharge, and, you know, and bands like that, and when they were starting to, you know, to, to come about and that hardcore thing, you know, it's faster, it's more aggressive, it's probably, you know, recorded more cheaply. This is where DIY was starting to really come in. Yeah. The singers are much more shouty. So the guitar riff is much more important to carry the tune. Okay. Is there any like. Well, the, that, that, that would be, you know, an answer to try and be as succinct as I could without going, you no, know, meandering. No, I appreciate that. That's good because it's always something I've been surrounded by like friends that have been into like the hardcore punk and they've had bands and stuff. And, I, and I've always like. It makes sense now when you say about that, but like yeah. was no. But what, what's the difference and, between and I mean, punk going, and hardcore going, punk? Yeah, going back to the DB thing, just to sort of you know, with regards to you, of course you played it, you know, for for you know for years in songs because you know really what you know one of the purveyors before punk, you could say we're Motorhead using it. Yeah, you know a, a lot. You know, that's all. But you can hear it in Velvet Underground songs and and all sorts. You know that. The thing that makes it the DB is the tribalness of it, because the drummers and something I didn't point out in my, you know, in my um, documentary is that the, both the drummers had only been playing weeks. Right. So it was when, very. When I see. That. So there's no independence there, you know. Ah. But that's but but the interesting thing is both bands, the Buscops and Discharge, it's been used as a drum introduction. Right. So there's something about those bands thinking, wow, let's start a song with that. Yeah. You know? And, and, and the reason why I started really, you know, like um, doing my documentaries and stuff like that on this was because I felt like, you know, unless you're really into that music, people don't know it. But I think that that's a, like a little bit ridiculous now. It's like, you know, it's, it's a, you know, like, it's not just a, a beat, it's a musical, it's a, it's a style of music, you of know, within punk. And I mean, you know, when I was younger, you know, moving aside from musical styles and interests, you know, when you're a musician, isn't it supposed to be that, you know, like it's, it's, it's good to have knowledge of all, all sorts of things. And, yeah, yeah. you know, like when I was younger, you know, I learned how to play a foxtrot off my dad's drum machine. I, I wasn't interested in foxtrot or, you know, that, you know, or a waltz or playing them in a traditional sense. But I thought it was, you know, good, good armory for me to have it in my, you know, in my toolbox as a drummer, you know. Yeah. And so with a DB, I, I sometimes feel a sort of punk drumming and, you know, and the subgenres that are related to it, you know, they, they don't get like, you know, like they, they don't get the kind of um, 
kudos and attention that they rightfully deserve now. You know, it's like, it's no good sort of, you know, like in an educational sense, thinking that punk is still some sort of subculture music. You know, it's, it's the biggest form of music in the world. You know, Green Day are one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah. You know, they're a punk band. Regardless yeah. of what you think of them or, you know, or how punk you think they are or how pop punk or whatever, they are massive. You exactly. Know, right there with U2 and Metallica. It's like, it's not a, you know, it's not a subgenre or a subculture of music. It's like, you know, it, it's massive. And, mm. and so my reason with the DB that I thought just for myself was, you know, I know about it. And I thought, well, you know, I, I want to just put it out there a little bit more. You know, I think it deserves more attention in the, in the drumming, in the general drumming fraternity, and in the educational yeah. sense of it, especially. Definitely. You know? And like, and like you said, for people who have not been brought up listening to, to punk and hardcore punk and stuff, and they, it'd be useful for them to learn it, to add it to their kind of arsenal, and just to yeah. get the vibe of it. I'm sure it'll come in handy. Like, like, well, like you exactly, said, if I learned I mean, the reggae beat, it'd be handy for me at some that's point. That's right. It's, yeah. it's exactly that. I mean, you know, you know, sooner or later, it's going to be one of those things that a drummer that, you know, there's still a lot of attention put on, you know, like, you know, like forms of drumming that are respectable because they're, they're, they're impressive, like gospel chops drumming. Yeah. But, you know, in the real world of drumming, that's not got a lot of use, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, those gospel chops drummers don't play those gospel chops when they're on a proper gig. You know? <laughs> some of them some of them do, but yeah, I know what you well, mean. Some it's, of them do, you know, very, always... very few. But, I mean, you know, when you see sort of like, you know, somebody playing all, you know, over, um, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, you know, like doing a kind of, you know, like a sort of gospel chops drum cover over sort of, you know, Rihanna song or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you know, you're not going to play like that with Rihanna. No, know? she's, she's not going to have that. that. You're doing that to a song on your own self-indulgent vid. Yeah. But, but you know, but if you're a working drummer, you know, you're going to sort of like, you know, and you're, you're being quite versatile. Like you said, somebody might go, listen, I'm doing this kind of, reggae style song can you can you play me a one drop do you know what i mean and yeah. you're going to be expected i'd rather well, be able to do it than not yeah. feel that you yeah. know it yeah um you know even if you're not playing in the reggae band you know maybe maybe that's the kind of thing you know that started with the police who knows yeah, you know, yeah, who knows, yeah. the kind of thing that started that going um but i think that's sort of like a db you know like you, you know now it's like you hear these kind of pseudo punk style things on on TV, you know, on adverts, on, you know, incidental music. And, and you know, so to me, it's it's going to be inevitable that songwriters yeah. and, 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 you know, the people who are doing stuff like this are going to, you know, it should be a case of like, you know, because I've got this punky song, you know, and you're able to say, oh, you know, I've got it. I know a punky rhythm, you know, yeah. it's called a DB. Or maybe the guitarist will come up to you and sort of say, listen, I've written this song. I, I'm after a DB. You know, and and so really, it should just be there the same way as when somebody says to you, you know, you know, like a blast beat, you know what it is if you're yeah. in, you know into that, or you know, a samba if you're coming from a Latin vibe, you know, a samba is not the same as obviously a a foxtrot, but they're coming from you know the Latin, mm. you know, the Latin you know side of things, you know, so. 
It's useful. It's so useful that was to... my thoughts with the DB. It was just like, well, let's put something out there. And, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's as I said, it's a respected form of music. And, and you know what I like about it, to summarise it, is that, you know, fair play to those young lads, as they were then playing that music. You know, 40 years on, they've got a... They've done something that they've got a rhythm that's recognized after them. I mean, how yeah. many tunes get that? You know, no, exactly. Any, you know? And like you said, like if you said they were very inexperienced at the time, but they came up with something, their inexperience turned into something like revolutionary. Exactly. You know, which was, and that's what's cool about music and cool about drumming is there's no rules and anyone can, can, create, can create anything and that can become a thing. It can become a, a new thing. And that can inspire people for years. Like and um what like like you mentioned about punk, it's coming back around again. I know Green Day are obviously been going for years and years, but yeah. it's the 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 youngsters are getting back into the, like this pop punk kind of genre again. And like Travis pa- Travis Barker is playing on all these young new pop punk pop albums, basically, but they're very yeah. kind of rock influenced. And I, I imagine that's just gonna create a lot more interest in in the older stuff as well when people kind of get into it that way like you know a lot of kids get into music with mainstream pop and then they go oh, i like that and then they'll probably get into the kind of guitar more guitar based maybe more authentic kind of punk and go yeah. back from there and then they'll discover discharge at some point when yeah, they then the next thing they're listening to like you know they call white noise yeah exactly yeah, exactly more and more extreme you guess yeah that's true yeah, but that's great. And, and and you sent me a video. There's a video of you. You actually played with Discharge the other day at a gig, at one yeah. song. So yeah, that's that was like I imagine that was really cool for you. So congratulations. That would have been fun. And you played the yeah, D beat. You played you. a D beat song. I played. Yeah, I, <laughs> I you know I I always wanted to do it, and then you know so I asked because you know I I do know the guys. Yeah. Um, but not so well. Uh, you know, I'd take that for granted, but I, I thought, you know, I'll ask. And uh, yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, I should play the very first song I heard by him, you know, which, which, you know, which, which isn't strictly, it is a DB, but it's a, it's a DB with a kind of, you know, uh, um, the variation, you know, yeah. partly DB and part of straight rhythm. But I thought, well, I've got to play the song that I first heard. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's all part of DB, but, you know, DB, as I said, is, it's it's as a rhythm. It, it, it you know it, it probably dates back to tribes in Africa or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know because okay. it's really kind of got that tribally feel, and and that's great. But I think you know you know that's the great aspect of it. It's attainable by anybody. Yeah. And what I try to do in my other videos is that you know I've tried to show where you can take it. You know that's what I'm trying to do with it. I'm trying to say okay. This is a DB. We know it's fundamental and basic and raw. And but you know, what about if you try and do this with it? What about if you try and play it as a linear pattern? Now we're getting into a gospel chops area. Yeah, I watched that video this morning. Yeah. Actually, the yeah. linear the linear D beat. I was like, oh, this. so yes, yeah, so you've got lots. Your YouTube channel, just for anyone listening, it's got yeah. You've got your documentaries. There's obviously lots of live performance videos from yeah. gigs. We've also got some really 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 useful teaching videos on there as well so it's a, it's a kind of a nice hub for everything which is kind of what i'm trying to do in mind but without yeah. the teaching <laughs> we're all trying to do the same thing aren't we we're, yeah. you know it's, it's trying to build, uh, build a build something <laughs> well yeah. i mean you know we're it's you know i think we're all you know trying to do the same we're just trying to make sure we're covered in all areas yeah. and, you know they did you know everything that we're 
gone through over the past 18 months has got everybody probably rethinking really you know unless you were able to you know comfortable enough to sort of just ride it through you know yeah some people probably have you know that you have to you, you have to think smart and i mean you know there's a lot of people that i thought might have been able to ride it through that you know haven't you know yeah. so you know, I've been glad of all these avenues, and, and I'm sure so have you. You know, and, and, and whatever they are, you know. And, yeah, uh, I didn't get to play as I'm much. I'm trying to develop it all as yeah. well. It's you know because I, I'm not trying. You know, I'm and neither are you. And, and I guess maybe a lot of people who watch this are you know I'm, I'm not an Instagram drummer. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a working you know player that you know that's my history of it. And although I want to take on these. You know the you know these new mediums. You know they they'll never be my greatest strength. So, and you know, I, I actually like doing the videos for for YouTube and that, and I like doing kind of you know like sort of like you know the drum cam ones and that because you know I just try and do yeah. it as well as I can. But I like you it. know I my talents ask... aren't you know computers and editing. No. <laughs> I was going to say, do you edit them yourself? I do. Yeah. yeah, cool. yeah. And that's a, a DIY, so, DIY. Well, that's back to that DIY yeah. thing again. It's just kind of how it is. I mean, you know, I, I was thinking about it recently is that coming from that background has, you know, in some ways has, you know, has kept me and others have seen like that in good stead because, you know, the industry as it was has changed so much that, you know, for me, the DIY is second nature, but I've seen a lot of people having to adapt to it yeah, yeah. Quickly, you know. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then that started with the whole collapse of the record labels, where yeah. suddenly, you know, bands, you know, they didn't have those kind of huge advances. They're not getting money in from, from, you know, from royalties. So suddenly, merch is the new thing. You know, well, I'm not, yeah. you know, been part doing that for years. It was a necessity. You that know? too. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. Same with all the bands I've been. It's kind of like well. That's that the merch sometimes means whether you actually break even or not on a tour or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, oh. and, and, and so everything to do with that, you know, how much money you spend in the studio, you know, how lavish you are with your travel and, mm. you know, all, all of these things. I mean, you know, like say when I, you know, work with, you know, Killing Joke, for instance. I yeah, mean, you know, we haven't it, talked about them yet. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, they kind of work very old school. You know, it's like everybody has a tech and, yeah. you, know, they, you know, they want to be traveling, you know, like, you know, as, as comfortably as possible. And I don't blame them for that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, 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 they operate as if there's a lot more money. Right. You know, uh, or, you know, maybe, maybe now that, you know, they're kind of more, you know, mindful of it. But I felt while I was round and that they, I mean, I liked it. Yeah. It made uh, things a lot easier for, you know, for us, the musicians. You yeah, know? Yeah. But I was looking at it and thinking, you know, kind of it's, you know, it's not really so much how our bands would do it now. Bands would be more mindful about how many people they had working. And yeah, totally. What they really need and, you know, you know, are you of that level that you just turn up and for sound check and you know, even though you're about to help in the day, you know, it's crazy. And yeah, of course, I... some are, you know, and some, you know, have to do that because maybe they're doing press and things like that in the day. But, but you know, a lot of people have become a lot more 
have had to become a lot more savvy to it, I suppose, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I'm glad you understand. But um, yeah, so check, we'll check out your YouTube channel. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think I meant... subscribers. Yes, subscribers. Same for my channel as well. Subscribe to both of our channels, please. It'd be very nice. I'm just, please. I know yeah, please, please do it. <laughs> and um, check, yeah, check out. I forgot to mention the title of the Memorial album is to, to the End. So That's if anyone's right. interested in checking that out, because um, it is really good from what I've heard so far. Um, obviously, keep up to date with it. There might be live gigs coming up. Are there any live gigs coming up? Or Well, I mean, predominantly, Memoriam, uh, uh, you know, out of mainland Europe. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's where the band's popularity mainly lies. I mean, that album went in the top 10 in Germany. For did instance. it? Wow. So, oh, congratulations. Yeah, so that was cool. And it did quite well in other regions, but, you know, like in the UK probably barely scraped in the top 50 or whatever. But yes. nonetheless, I still feel that's an achievement, you know, but yeah, yeah. I think their last one went into the top 10. Um, wow. But, but you know, anyway, predominantly the the, the, the band's main, you know, uh, gigging diet is mainland Europe and a lot of festivals and, uh, and whatnot. Yeah. So, you know, and they do play things like Bloodstock and that, of course. And, you know, um, I think there's one called Manifest. You know, basically this year it's been like you. Lots yeah. of gigs that have just been getting Push postponed back. or cancelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next one, I think, is the Damnation Festival, which I believe is a, a death metal festival in Leeds, and that's in November. So Okay, cool. So we did have gigs, you know, like in between. We're supposed to be in Holland and Germany this month, September. Hmm. That's been pulled, you know. Yeah. I haven't even bothered to refer to the other gigs now. <laughs> I know they're not happening. Uh, right. Yeah, that's interesting because we've but got... yeah, we've... you know, and, 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 you know, like, uh, yeah, next year, I suppose, is, you know, what, what we hope for a more typical and steady year of playing. I'm sure you're the same. Yeah, well, I'm still hopeful for the ones we've got. For the rest oh, of the year, UK tour and that. I mean, yeah, we got a UK tour. We do have a few gigs in Europe as well, in mainland Europe. There's one in France, one in Germany. Don't yeah. know what the situation with that is at the moment. Belgium as well, maybe. Um, okay. so we'll see. I think the French one is definitely happening at this yeah. at this stage so, of. So Memorial don't you know like don't even really tour in that sense. They're more you know one, yeah, the way else? they like to do it is. Uh, to go out for weekends and, and play, you know, like small batches of gigs, you know, yeah. normally around a festival or something. Well, that probably suits you quite well as well with your teaching as well. So, you know, you're not taking too well, much time off that. it works for me. I mean, you know, I'd be happy to do it. And, but that's what I've done a lot of in the past. And, you know, I was tiring of it to some extent. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, huh? it's, it's hard work. It's tiring work. It is. Well, yeah, again, it's levels, isn't it? You mm. know, if you, you know, I mean, I don't need to have like, you know, like, a, you know, all, all uh, the, the, the trappings of sort of the more successful plane. But it is nice if you've got a, a tech or even just yeah. a backline tech that will look after the equipment after you play. Yeah, you that's know, nice. It is nice. Know, um, you've got somebody sat with you. While you're playing, like when I'm doing that memoriam stuff, for instance, and you know you don't have a sound check, you need somebody that can run back and forth to change the monitor mixes because you you haven't yeah. set it up, you've had not had a sound check, and yeah, you know somebody to help you, if, you know, you know something breaks or anything like that. When you're having to do it all, uh, you know, 
by yourself and on tour, it can become. I agree. You know, yeah. it can really start to make it feel unenjoyable. Mm. Yeah, because it's yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, luckily yeah. sometimes we get to have people, don't we? Sometimes I, I'm at that stage. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Depends. Depends yeah, on the I budget. Mean, you know, it's, it's, I mean, when I did, you know, say the Steve Ignorant tour, we, we were playing decent sized venues and I was able to set up the gear. I didn't have a tech then. We were playing Shepherd's Bush Empire, you know. Yeah. But, but the thing was, you know, you were set up, you know, you had plenty of time to sound check, you know, you, yeah. you know, you have your own kind of organizational thing, don't you? You know, your, your spare snare here, your pedal yeah. there. You, you know, you, you, you kind of got it covered for every eventuality. Yeah. But if you're sort of doing it where you're having to swap over the gear frantically. Yeah, I don't like you that. You know, like yeah. at the Camden Underworld or something like that. You know, then that brings about its own stresses and yeah. maybe you forget to put this snare where you normally have it because there's so much gear around. And, yeah. You know, and that's where it gets messy. And that's where I think, well, you know, that's when a tech or, you know, something is really helpful. It's really useful. It's not, it's not about being decadent and, no, it's, you know, and, it's just practical, uh, really. It's like, well, I'm just at a level when I want it, you know, mm. because I think we all know, you know, even when you've got it all, you want to check it. <laughs> it's like. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's just a practical thing to, to do something. So, um, yeah, we're coming towards the end now. So we're we're at that stage where I've got my I've got a couple of questions from some of my patrons of on my Patreon. Uh, okay. so if anyone wants to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash drum for the song, little plug. And you can support the podcast. Um, one of the benefits of one of the tiers is that you get to ask my guests a question. So I've got one, it's not this one isn't really a question, it's more of a statement from Dean Monaghan. He's over in America. Thank him for me. The damned fucking kick it. That's what he said. So you've right. just, he's, he's just pretty impressed that you were in the damned. So this one is from Paul Hutchins. Spike stepped in for Killing Joke in 2010, which included their first dates in China. Could he tell us a bit about that? Because not only are Killing Joke an exceptional band, but the whole thing sounds amazing. Yeah, I, I, I can. Um, the way it came about was, um, as I remember it, is Killing Joke are back to the original lineup now. So the the, 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 the person who's uh, come in with that question probably knows that, but maybe a lot of people don't. But yeah. basically, after many years and, you know, numerous lineup changes, it's back to the original four. Okay. So I have to point that out because I ended up, I was playing, so I was stepping in for the original drummer playing with the original guys, you know, yeah, which yeah. was, you know, another career highlight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never ended. And, um, it came about to a drummer had, that had been playing with him that I was friends with, uh, Benny Calvert. Um, he'd, be, he'd played with him for a number of years in, in the 2000s, I think. Um, he played with them after, I joined them after, because they, 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 they had Dave Grohl drumming on an album. Did he? Yeah. Wow. Didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, he did the album, it's Killing Joke. It's called, it's, they've done two albums just called Killing Joke, but there's one, Killing Joke 2003. I highly recommend you check it out there. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, well. Dave's yeah, yeah. killing it on it. It's brilliant. Cool. Anyway, the drummer they had after that, they, they had a drummer from Prong playing, promoting that album that they played on. But then afterwards, they um, 
had Billy Calvert, who's a friend of mine, and, and I'd seen him not long before. Um, and of course, you know, he wasn't in, um, you know, they, they were back to the original lineup, but big Paul Ferguson, who is the original drummer, at that time, he, he, he had commitments with his own work, with whatever he was doing. He lives in New York, or uh, he lives somewhere on the East Coast in the States. And he, he, he so he, there were bits that he couldn't do. Anyway, this China gig, he couldn't do. So they'd ask Benny, and he couldn't do it. But mm. he, a bit like me with the Damned, actually, you know. Yeah, he yeah. was like, so I said, well, look, I know somebody that can definitely do it. I wholeheartedly, you know, say, you know, this person can do it. So don't worry about, you know, well, you can audition, but, you know, they'll be able to cover it. And so basically, and it wasn't very much time. It was like just over a week or something before. Right. I got a call saying, look, can you do this gig? We're killing, killing joke. We've got this big festival in China. They need a drummer. Can you do it? I was like, yeah, can I? <laughs> and they were like the only problem is is the paperwork because it's so short anyway you know the, the Chinese officials were determined that the band were going to get in when they play you know yeah, so right. we were assured that I did do the paperwork <laughs> um, you know how we got through I don't know anyway I frantically learned the set and it was basically a trip over you know in China for a week we had a couple we had the, obviously the traveling over and then <clears throat> We had a couple of days of rehearsals and um, and then we had to drive, you know, to play this festival that was, you know, should have been a couple of hours away from Beijing, but ended up being about a 10 to 15 hour journey, depending on who whose story you hear. Oh, right. I remember it being long. <laughs> Jesus, that's long. Oh. And so, yeah, so it was just one of those, again, one of those mad experiences. I mean, I've, all the gear and everything had been sorted, so I was using, you know, the equipment that was all allocated for Big Paul. Cool. <clears throat> so I wasn't using my normal spec of gear, but it was very similar as mm. the gear itself. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't Pearl, it wasn't Zildjian, but, you know, it was, you know, the, you know, the, the similar drums or yeah. sizes and, you know, obviously the choice of cymbals. Very interesting doing that, actually, playing with a band on the equipment that's been allocated for their drummer. Yeah, I bet, actually. He uses 13-inch hi-hats. That's interesting. You yeah. Know, things like that. Um, but, yeah, to do it was mind-blowing. And, and also, they were, they were pretty much, because they hadn't been that long together as the original lineup. It was it was really, really was like a greatest hit set, you know, which, let's face it, if you're going to play with sort of, you know, any band that you love, you want to be playing all the key songs, don't you? Of you course. Know? And you're more likely to know them better, I guess, as well, if you're yeah, more you familiar. Kind of, you, 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 you do, yeah, you're right. I mean, when I was with the Damned, I kind of had that familiarity, and, and that was there with Killing Joke as well, where, say, with Morrissey of New York Dolls, it wasn't, you know. It's yeah. like, you know, I really had to learn the songs from scratch. But so it was an amazing experience. And again, as, as the yeah, the person who came in with the question knows, you know, they're, they're quite a bunch of crazy, very, you know, headstrong individual characters. It was like, right. well, mm -hmm. so you're working with kind of, you know, some mad geniuses, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, have you, heard, you know, before you heard the odd story, I, it just reminded me, I've actually, well, 
I don't know if you know, but my, my band with my dad, we supported Guns N' Roses a few years ago. We did four shows with them and Killing Joke were on one of the bills, but they went That's on right. after us. I can't remember where it was. It, Germany, maybe. Yeah, but, do you know, and you know, it is a funny thing. After yeah. I played, you know, the um, <clears throat> the other week, after we played the gig in Bloodstock, the week after I was playing in the Underworld with Onslaught, I think yeah. we were talking about. And I said hello to, is it Jeff? Jeff is my friend, yeah, the bass uh, yeah, player. Yeah, I said yeah. hello to him for cool. you. Oh, cool. and, Thank um, you. I was driving home and ah, didn't feel I enjoyed that gig, you know, and I was a bit kind of, oh, you know, that didn't go so well. And I thought I'll stop off in this, um, I'll stop off in this little, you know, like late night fast food takeaway place I know in Highgate. So I stopped and walked in and it was there, Roy, the keyboard player. All oh, right. So <laughs> killing joke. That's so random. Yeah. What? And he did that Guns N' Roses gig because uh, I remember seeing his posts about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was pretty. It was cool. I didn't get to. I didn't get to speak to him or anything. But I just from it was. It's weird when you get to kind of those kind of size gigs. Everything is so separate and like strict, and it was That's weird. Right. It was yeah. Well, you know, it was an amazing experience. I don't. You know, who knows if it'll ever happen again? But um. Yeah. Oh, you've done it, haven't you? Yeah, we've done it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so yeah. The, the thing is, is you know, with these things, it's like me with that killing joke on. You know, you know whether it happens again or not. The fact that you've done it at all is amazing. I mean, yeah. I've been included in a book. You know, I told the, the story of my inclusion of that. You know, that's got into a killing joke book. And, oh know, wow, that's cool. And as I, when I go and see the guys, and as I often say, you know, when I see them, it's like, you know. I'm just so pleased that, you know, that the gig that we did was an experience for us all because they'd never played in China, you know. No, no. You know, in their 45, you know, 40 plus year history, you know, I, I did something that was historical with them. I mean, I yeah. could have easily and just as much enjoyed, well, would have just as been happy playing with them in Rock City. But, you yeah. know, I've done that tons of times. That, that wouldn't be sort of something that stands out so much, you know. So that's what makes it magical. Again, with career highlights, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, like that one, I'm sure, you know, might not even be your favorite gig, but it's sure, you know, it's, it's got to be kind of one of those yeah, just, highlight moments for you. Yeah, we did four, we did four gigs in total. So yeah, just we generally, did the, we did four of them. Yeah. So the fact, yeah, that kind of, that period, it was like a month and we had a few festivals in between the gigs because they were spread out and it was just, yeah, yeah. living on a bus for three weeks in the, in the summer in Europe, you know, we get getting, yeah, yeah. pay, getting paid. You can't, yeah. We had a few mates like we were tacking for us and stuff. So we just had a great, we had a great time, and yeah, you know, we we, we enjoyed the experience as much as they're possible. They're the kind of gigs where your mates want to tech. Yeah, they'll tech. Yeah, you, <laughs> they, they, they want to tech. Yeah, but we didn't mind because it was like it's just, you know, they know what they're doing. Um, you know, we and we have more fun then. You know, because yeah, they, they're just our mates. Team. Yeah, it was great. But yeah, we got um. I guess we've kind of covered this, but just in case there's anything else that you've got to say, as a non-musician, this is from Paul Hutchins, the same guy. As yeah. a as a non-musician, I'm always surprised by a musician like Spike, who can turn his hands and feet to such a wide range of music. I'd like to know what are the similarities, differences, and biggest challenges when playing for such diverse acts. For example, with Morrissey and today with Memoriam. So I know we've kind of talked about that a little bit, but yeah, what, okay, what are but the biggest? It from a point of view of sort of somebody that's not the player, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I guess it's you know more than anything, it's it's dynamics. Yeah. 
you know, within what you're playing. So, you know, football, you know, like when you're playing with Memoriam, you, you know, your feet are, you know, are really laying down a very, very heavy foundation. Um, you know, I'm using heavier sticks because I want more weight behind the hits to create the sound. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, when you play with Morrissey, you know the the, the drumming is is, is uh, you, you know is is it's a lot it's a lot lighter. Um, you don't want to be physically hitting too hard. Although actually, I was hitting pretty hard when I was playing playing for him, which is probably why I ended up with the first specs screen in front of me. <laughs> ah, right, you had one of them. I've never had one of those. Uh, they're horrible. You can see your reflection in them. Mm. <laughs> no one wants to but, see that. You know, it's it's a you know necessary evil. Yeah. I did offer to play lighter, and he didn't want that because he mm. knew that it was changing the the sound dynamically. You know, he, he probably just wanted but, more but, quiet quieter on stage for him. He obviously wanted quieter on stage for him. So that's yeah. how it works. And you know, when you're playing with him, it's all about him. You know, of course, he, you know, he's a solo artist. So, so it's it's really the sort of the, like the dynamics, you know, the, the parts are different. The style is, it's not as dramatically different as you think, because you'd still file that, as, you know, as rock drumming. You know, yeah. there's very extreme different ends of rock drumming, but it's not like the difference between between you know, um, memoriam and playing with HR. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Know, where I'm going from, you know, like the death metal drumming to you know to dub reggae drumming you know so so that you know i hope answer this question in a fairly simple but straightforward manner no no that's great that's that's good and um no i appreciate you taking the time to do that uh, almost at the end now so now it's time for the quick fire round which you're probably familiar with if you've listened to a few episodes so we not all of it no all of it no no so um right what do you prefer hot or cold weather Hot. Daytime or nighttime? Do you know, for a long time, I would have said nighttime for many years, but over the past few more recent daytime. Yeah, good, good, good. The sun is good for you. Vitamin D from the sun. I think it's an age thing. Mm, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, you might still be in the nighttime period, though. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm asleep at night. I, I, I go to bed at 10 p.m. Yeah. Pretty, pretty lame. <laughs> I like. Well, I, I like. Know, I like. It's, a, it's better to enjoy the day. It's more beneficial. Yeah, I like. I find now. Yeah, it's good, man. Uh, sweet or savory? S- sweet. Mm, me too. Guitar yeah. or bass? <sighs> Both are critical, but when I tell you my, you know, my, my history has got to lean towards guitar. You know, yeah, my upbringing. Yeah, that's fair enough. What about you? I prefer I prefer bass actually. But, yeah, yeah well, well, I'm coming from the point of view I can play a bass guitar better than I can play an, an electric guitar. Or yeah. electric guitar. I know I've got them behind me on the wall, but yeah, yeah well, I did but, learn. You know, I I do play a bit of basic guitar and bass, so I did end up fulfilling to a small extent my guitar dreams. You know, but yeah. not to a point of a um, you know like a, a a very able player, but enough to be able to write tunes if I want to or to convey ideas. You yeah, know? that's good. I think that's, that's a really yeah. useful thing to have as a, as a drummer. So I think that's yeah. cool. But, but I um, love guitar and bass. I guess yeah. we all do, don't we? We all have our favorite bass players and favorite guitarists. Yeah. But let's say guitar. Cool. No problem. Nylon or wood tip 
chopsticks. Well, these are all your answers I feel hard to give, you know, <laughs> but I'll have to go for, for, you know, like for, for words, you know. Actually, look, I've got some memoriam for the first time ever. I've got some memoriam sticks. Oh, I've nice. got the word tip. What, what brand are they? They're the London Drum Company. Ah, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, lot, good sticks. I've heard some good things about those. So. Yeah, I suggest you look into them. You know, they uh, you know, I, I, I tried some for a while, and then I, you know, I've been using the ones I've had for these gigs, and they're they're lasting out really well. That's good, good to hear. And <clears throat> nice to know there's a, wood tips. Yeah, wood tips. Yeah, I think. I don't think anyone said nylon, actually. I think everyone has said well, You know, I do like nylon, you know, when, you know, I, I do like them. I tell you, but the reason everybody says wood is more that nylon tips just are unreliable, you know, it's, they fall off. Yeah. And they, um, they, I don't like how they mark the symbols sometimes. That's another thing. Yeah. You mm. know, it's the mark and the symbol. I do like the clarity that they give to a right symbol. Yeah. I bet, I bet, I bet it is useful, but for the style I play, it wouldn't really work because I just no. crash my rights in more anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you know, for certain, you know, for jazzy things yeah. and stuff like that. Mind you, you don't always want a, a ridiculous amount of clarity with jazz. So I suppose the wood just is a little bit warmer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is always a tricky one. John Bonham or Neil Peart? I have to just immediately say Neil Peart. Okay, that's, that's, I, I, I thought you were going to say that based on what we've talked about because you haven't mentioned Bonham once. But um, a lot of people <laughs> find that a lot of people find that tricky. But um, well, no, it is because they're the very different. Is, is the only reason I do, I'm, I'm a big fan of John Bonham and I'm a big fan of Led Zeppelin. But if I really, you know, honestly trace the influence in my own playing, you know, Neil Peart has had. You know, it's significantly more, and I mean, you know, I, I do have John Bonham sort of moments. It's John Bonham moments on the Memoriam album, but there's nice. a lot more Neil Peart. You yeah. Know? So that's... That, and when I think about it through the years and the kind of player I am, and the fact that you know, I could have gone to Memoriam and sort of thought, right, I'm going to go with a four-piece kit. You know, you know, it's my own gig. Yeah. I'm doing my own parts. I can approach it how I like, but you heard me say earlier I was adding concert songs. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, why not? Nah, cool. That's cool. That's wicked. Um, again, tricky. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Ah, uh, definitely the Beatles. Yeah, that's that's how I would rock, to be honest. C Cleo. I mean, oh, go on. I was just about to say I, I've I've done my best with the Rolling Stones. You know, you heard me mention even at the beginning that there was Beatles and Stones albums in my dad's collection, and I, it, they just don't do it for me. You know, yeah. I mean, I appreciate where they're at. And, yeah, obviously, sad, uh, sad and news. Everything, and you know, you know, God rest his soul with Charlie Watts. Yeah, but um, is I imagine the Beatles just just one that you know I really enjoy their albums and you know historically have and you know and, and everything that goes with them where the stones it's like you know yeah i like the tracks i hear but when i've tried to listen to their albums for me personally they just they just don't do it for me yeah i don't That's know fair. why that is because they're so liked you know yeah well, obviously this they're very popular so fair enough no I, I i haven't i haven't really given any full albums a chance to be fair whereas i've listened to all the beatles albums and i know i love them 
the first time I heard some, uh, well, I can't, I wish I remembered the first one I listened to in full. And I was like, wow, this is, I think it might have been Rubber Soul or something like that. And I was like, this, yeah. is, this is so cool. And I, I yeah. Mean, the first one I heard was that kind of greatest hitch, you know, the, 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 the famous red and there's the blue. I think the red is the early yeah. years and the blue is the latter years. You might not have even seen them, but maybe they not. were pretty famous albums and, you know, ways into the Beatles yeah. years ago, you know? That's fair enough. Yeah, cool. It's always a tough one. And then I eventually went through listening to the albums chronologically. And... Yeah, I think that's better. It's great to hear them and, and associate that track with, oh, that's on this album and that's also on this. Yeah. And, and you can tell what kind of, well, what mindset they were in, let's say, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, cool. Um, next word clear or coated drum heads? Oh, God, it's another sort of, you know. Bold, isn't it? Yeah. Um, generally, I use clear. Okay. Except on a snare, where I would use coated. But yeah. yeah you know, my my preference is, is, you know, if I had to have either or, I guess it would be clear. Cool. Okay. Uh, big or small venue? Ooh, big. Big. And favorite time signature to play? Um. Well, I've got to stick with the, the obvious that everybody says, isn't it? Which is 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. I could say 2-4 just for the sort of more, punk. you know, upbeat punk rhythm, really. But I'll, let's go with 4-4. Four, four. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now that's cool. Um, yeah, so obviously coming to the end now, um, if you could create your own dream band with yourself on drums, uh, featuring any musicians, dead or alive, playing the other instruments, who would you choose? Ooh, that's a really hard one. I know, sorry. Have you ever had anybody that's given that answer easily or is everybody really scratching their heads? Um, sometimes it comes quite quickly. It was quite fun funny. Um, Brian Tishy just immediately yeah. just mentioned, he just said the members of Led Zeppelin, but then he did try and come up with a more interesting Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd almost say that, you know, my dream band would be for me to just play with bad brains you know back in the heyday yeah 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 that's fair enough <laughs> no, but i'm not i'm gonna come up with one because you're kind of giving me you know nice. so oh, i think of you know um wow let me think depends what sort of, sort of music you'd be thinking of playing isn't it you know yeah, it's up to you you know it's your band so yeah so i uh, i don't know i probably where would I even go with with the song? God, you know, with a bass player, I don't know. There's so no. many great ones, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, I think if I was going to start with a singer, let's start with a singer, Bob Marley. Oh, nice. I'd nice. want to be with a singer, with a singer that not only, you know, was sounding so beautiful, but actually had something to say. Yes, you know? that's good. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so I'd start with sort of, you know, like Bob Marley. Um, I'll do what I want on rhythm guitar. James Hetfield. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, you can't get much better rhythm guitar than him. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, if I was, I was going for a sort of James Hetfield, <laughs> Paul Marley, <laughs> Neil on drums, would you need a bass player? You, someone's got to play bass. Come on. You've, you've got to have somebody that's a bass player that doesn't uh, sort of uh, hit that realm. So, I don't know. Let me think. I don't want to just say, 
who could I be, be thinking of as a bass player? Uh, do you know Doug? I'd have to say maybe Doug Wimbish. Do you know Doug Wimbish? I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. From cool. Living Colour and Tackhead, and he's a great session guy. He's he's a pretty out there bass player with his sounds and stuff. That would be cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So it'd be me, Doug, James Hetfield on rhythm guitar, uh, Bob Marley. You could have lead, lead uh, guitar. Jerry Lee Lewis on piano. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's going to be some band. Yeah, and, and, and you know that we we need you know we we would need a lead guitarist, wouldn't we? So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Maybe Eddie Van Halen. Oh, of course. Oh, that's that's a classic, amazing band. Oh, yeah. Be, be. I, you know, it'd be nice to have a brass section, but. I'm not, pro- yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough brass players, but obviously it might be your thing. But um, well, yeah. I love a band called Morphine that were a trio from from Boston, um, very low-fi, and they were basically a bass player who just played with two strings on his bass. Oh, really nice. lovely drummer uh, called. Well, they had a couple of drummers uh, and a sax player. Uh, and you know he'd be cool in that band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd a lot of you know, is it baritone? You know the the low sax. You know, yeah, the heavy. I know the sort one, yeah. of sound of the sax. Yeah, I do like I do like that sound actually. Baritone, baritone sax. Ah, cool. Yeah. Well, I think. Um, and actually, I would change Jerry Lee Lewis and have uh, Little Richard. Ah, ah, fair enough. And then that way you've got the two singers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. well as the pianist. And you got James Edfield. You can pitch in. He's, yeah. He, he sings. He's quite. He's quite. He's been quite successful as a singer yeah. <laughs> over the years. Yeah. You so you got Bob, <laughs> James, Little Richard, Doug, and me. That's insane. That's that's brilliant. I love that answer. Thanks for that. That's I wonder great. how it what it sound like. I don't know, but it would be it'd be rad. It'd be it's such yeah. a good good uh, variety of uh, musicians in there. That's amazing. I've never time. actually ever thought that be, you know about that before. It's a good question. It's actually made me happy thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, I do. That's what I always think is it's just really interesting what people come up with. Sometimes you get very similar answers or predictable answers, but then sometimes yeah. they they really out there like that. That's pretty cool. So, and I well, guess it's it, supposed to be. Yeah, I suppose it depends. You, you know, the, the the thing is, is I've gone out there because I suppose I've played with a lot of my dream people. You know? Yeah. So. I mean, I would have said, hey, Jar, in his, H- in his heyday, because, you know, he was amazing. I mean, you know, he's, he's older and he's suffered problems. It's not the same. But that didn't lessen my experience with him at all. Of course. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dave Vanian, you know, from The Dam, you know, oh, Jazz from Killing Joke. These are all people that, you know, I've really looked up to. And I, I know a lot of people on... I've heard people mention it with yours, and you hear it a lot. They say Freddie Mercury, and it's kind of, yeah. you know, and I, and I get it, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I've, I've played with my version of Freddie Mercury, you know, it's, you know, what, a singer who means that much to me. You yeah, know? yeah. So but I'll never get a chance to play with Bob Marley, obviously. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but I love Bob Marley, you know, uh, I really do. You know, it's... Uh, not just his singing, I love his voice, I love what he's done for, for music, you know. Absolutely. It's, I, you know, I, it, it absolutely more than just the singer. And, you know, and also, Bob was a great performer. You yeah. know, when you watch the footage, he's so immersed in it, you know. I mean, he was, 
know, he's like a prophet. Yeah. Right. I, 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 to be honest, I'm a singer or a performer. I, I know I'll have to check out some performances of him actually because I've only heard oh, their kind of records. Any live stuff, yeah. You know, you see a man there who gives it, you know, he, he just gets lost in it. You know, it's not shapes to him. No, know? it's just like, natural. And that's the thing with some singers, obviously, especially in rock. I mean, I'm not knocking them, but you know, they're pulling shapes. You know, yeah. it's, they go to a certain spot and do the same thing, and, and that's what it's meant to be. You know, it's. But you watch something with Bob, you know, I, I think what I like is with, 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 you know, some of the people that I mentioned is that, you know, they're unpredictable. And that's what I like. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's, that's, that's what makes the music exciting and, and the performance exciting, doesn't it? Yeah. I know. Yeah, what you mean. it does. And it was the same with HR from Bad Brains. I mean, you know, he obviously took a lot from, <clears throat> from Bob Marley and Michael Jackson as well, you know, I mean, he was a he was a great mover. He, he looks good, you know. He did somersaults, you know, on stage, but did he? he do a somersault like at CBGB, you know, <laughs> which is a very risque affair. But that's how spirited he was, you know. Yeah. It's amazing. I'll, no, have to it's just, I'll have to check out all this stuff because I'm not yeah. I'm not that familiar with that kind of era as much. I don't know how. No, I know I've seen it's the t-shirts. You know, it's like me, I, I you know, checking <clears throat> loads of, you know, blue note jazz is before my time. But, you know, the great thing about music, and I think we'll, we all agree, is that it's there, it's it's there. there forever. And it's timeless yeah. in that sense. Isn't yeah. it? You know, it's, you know, I bought like a, you know, a, you know, some albums last week when I was in Bristol, you know, like an old Link Ray one, you know, the guitarist, you know, instrumental guitarist, one of the, the forerunners of the surf guitar, you know, a bunch of songs I've never heard by him, you know, wow. and it's great, you know, that that music is like 60 years old, I guess, if you think about it, yeah, over. So, yeah, it, it is, and that, yeah, that's true, and I think that's what, why, why it's so important to so many people, and, and I'm, when will continue to be, hopefully, and you know, and, and we've, I guess we've all put our own little stamps in the history of music for people in the future where they might discover our music someday, you know? And, um, yeah. You know, you know, right. I, like, I like to think about that. Like, it's there, it's out there, it's there forever. And, you know, it's different now because of the digital age, but that makes it easier in, in theory for people to discover things um, and learn about new music. And so, yes, yeah, so you've got to embrace it, I think. I know, it, I know the, the, digitalization of music has kind of made it financially maybe more difficult for songwriters and, and bands and things but um i think you've got to try and utilize it as best as you can to to maximize the the you know the positive side of it as well rather than just moan about it so i don't know i don't know why i'm talking about spotify now but uh, we've gone off on a tangent yeah but yeah I, I think it's important but yeah um yeah, cheers, Spike. Um, I think we, I think call cool, that. I think we'd wrap that up if that's cool. Unless you've got anything else you want to plug or talk about, or um, well, I haven't got anything else to plug. If I could just, you know, just encourage people to, you know, follow me. You know, stay in touch with me. I like people staying in touch. I like people, you know, yeah. to to, you know, to look at my sort of videos or ask questions or you know i teach a course so yeah. people if they want to um you know they're interested in having lessons with me wherever they are these days i mean if they're somewhere that's 
within distance. They can come to me, you know, personally, or they can do it online, you know. So, so how, I'm, if, always, uh, I'm always opening up for it. You know, I'm never too busy for that. You know, I'll always, you know, I always keep that going. So Keep it going. Um, so if, if someone wanted to contact you about a lesson, what can they, what can they, Find well, they can Facebook just check out or... my website. If they go to spiketsmith.com, you know, you, once you go on there, the avenues are all there, you know. Great. But, okay. you know, it, it's not hard. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, you know, you can DM on all these things now. Can't yeah. Use, yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm not difficult to contact. Cool. Uh, so, you know, yeah, but stay in touch anyway. You know, it's cool when people follow you, watch your vids, maybe make a comment. Yeah, it really helps. It's all about interaction, isn't it? That that's what I like. Yeah, and it's the same same from my point of view, really. When you know, the, especially with the YouTube thing, we're obviously both trying to push like YouTube channels and things. If you know, even if you just press the like button, if you leave a comment, it does kind of really help. It the more interaction that a post or video gets, the more likely that YouTube will show that to someone else because in. Right. And that's and what it, you're trying to make happen, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's great when I get views, but like if no one's kind of like commenting or stuff, it's it's, it's you know it's just limiting the reach, really. So I know it's 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 early days, but like yeah, just doing make even if if it's a comment, I oh, really enjoyed this or something like that. Or yeah, it, it, helps. Helps. Yeah, it helps. Yeah, it just helps. Keep yeah. up the good work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All well, things like that. It really helps. And then it's not it's not for. Uh, it's not for our ego. It's literally we want more people to find our stuff. So, and that's how how YouTube that's how YouTube works. Unfortunately, that's right. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Cool. No, great. Um, well, thank you very much, Spike. I look forward to well, we'll keep in touch. I'm sure from 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 now on. And um, definitely, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm touring your way, obviously you're welcome to come to a show. And 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 well, I've already got my eye on the Norwich one. Are you playing in Leicester? Uh, not to my knowledge, not knowledge. Not in them. Not in them. We're doing, yeah. Okay, so there then. Re- rescue rooms, I believe. Oh, I know the rescue rooms. Yeah, that's not too far from me. Okay, and um, well, I'll have a look at the dates. Which, whichever one's closest, let me know, and we can sort that out. Okay. Yeah, great. Well, I've got one more thing for uh, you, Dave. Yeah. I think I mentioned. Uh, no, you know, let's let's keep this fresh. My mother went to school with Levy. Oh yes. That's that. Uh, yes, sorry for we didn't we didn't bring this up earlier. You, you told yeah, me that's, that's that's so cool. And it, so in, in North Wales, so locally, my mum went to school with Levy. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's so cool. Did she? Well, just did she ever talk about it, or did she know she, who Levy was? Yeah, she remembered him. Yeah, she she remembered him from before that. She, you know, it, it was something that I knew that was. <clears throat> Well before the book and that came out, you know. Yeah. And she used to talk about him getting expelled. <laughs> and uh, what she always says about it was, she goes, you know, you can't believe how shocking it was for somebody to get expelled from school then, you know. Yeah. Oh, my God. He was a bad and, boy. Um, the funny thing was, is that, you know, when when his, when he did the book, I, you know, some, well, a few people told me, oh, you, you've got to read Lemmy's book. He mentions, you know, coming from, you know, like your part of the world and all of that and stuff like that. And uh, so, you know, of course, I, I read the book and I, you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. But do you think you like the bit about his mate with one leg or something, a false leg getting oh, chased yeah. to the campsite or something? something like That's that. in that area. But um, 
you know, anyway, the, the, the thing was, is my mom was so curious, I got her the book. You know? Oh, cool. Nice. And I was thinking, well, how's she going to take it? Because, you know, obviously it's pretty rock and roll. But, yeah. uh, you know, you know, the thing is, is that I've always found with him, with Lemmy, he's, 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 you know, he's very affable, isn't he? He's, he you know, he, he has sort of traits in it that I think you and I can both see from being Welsh, even if he didn't see himself as Welsh. He certainly... Yeah, you know, that crucial part of his upbringing was in Wales, and he had, you know, a lot of his humour and that. I find like that. And anyway, so my mum read the book, and then so did my dad. And then my dad started going into, oh, I know that shopping plan. Did know where he got that <laughs> guitar from? I got some of my, one of my mics from there, and you know, it became a funny little local thing. You know, talking to my mum and dad about Lemmy, but not to do with Motorhead. You know, yeah. Uh, and I, I mentioned it to Lemmy once, just to finish this. I was playing in a venue in Hollywood, right by the right by the Rainbow. Okay. Or the Key Club, and I'd gone for a little stroll, you know, pre-gig to sort of, you know, to stop myself from going to a pub. And uh, as I was walking, I was walking with a friend of mine. And he says, "Look who's in front of me, it's Lemmy," you know. So I said, "Wow." Anyway, I thought, I'm not going to disturb him. And we walked across the road. And of course, he walked to the rainbow. So I thought, I've got to go in and, you know, have a drink. Yeah. So I went in, I went up to him and I told him, I said, oh, you know, sorry for bothering you, blah, 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 you know, but I've got to tell you, my mum went to school with you. <laughs> and he says, did she? But what was her maiden name? <laughs> and I thought said. that was great that he thought to ask her rather than to marry. Yeah, know? yeah. He's clever, yeah. And I said, oh, Rona Parry. And he was, you know, you could see him, he's thinking, can't remember. He goes, oh, that's really great, you know. It's really great you came to tell me that. <laughs> and I bet, you know, he just thought, thankfully, not somebody coming wanting to buy him a whiskey and coke. And, yeah, I think you know, so many. Him, you know? Yeah, so many people. I think because you know he's, he should be allowed to kind of hang out if he wants, whatever he wants. But like, of course he could. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I bet a lot of people, yes, approached a lot. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you, so, you, you know, so that was that's my little Lemmy thing that I nice. quite. That's quite, a great. Uh, that's a great story and thanks for sharing this and is it that's a great way to end the podcast and um yeah that's cool because i know there's a lot of motorhead fans that kind of listen to this show that i'm sure any stories you know involving lemmy are always interesting um and yeah fair play and uh yeah that's cool so, yeah, um, I was yeah. really glad I got to tell him it, and then I told my mum. Yeah, and so, then, you know I made a little connection. Yeah, so even <laughs> if they couldn't speak to each other, the speak to each other at least you kind of connected them in that way <laughs> nah, that's cool great man thanks so, so yeah spike amazing this has been an absolute pleasure and i look forward to seeing you in the future and hopefully i'll get yeah, to share cheers, the stage hey, hey listen yeah. thanks for inviting me you know i've uh, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it i'm, I'm absolutely it's my pleasure absolutely my pleasure thanks for listening and just being so, so supportive in general so um yeah I'll, I'll check out more of your channel i know you've got hundreds of videos on there um and yeah we'll speak to you soon cheers bike thanks for everyone sorry thanks to everyone for listening (laughs) cheers run for the song podcast thanks for listening to this episode of drum for the song podcast if you've enjoyed this please consider liking the video and subscribing if you're watching on youtube or subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you could leave me a review or comment, that would be fantastic too, as it helps other people discover this show. 
please also consider sharing this with any family members or friends who might enjoy the content. You can also follow me on social media at Dane underscore drums or at Drum for the Song or search for Drum for the Song on Facebook to follow the page and join the official Facebook group. If you'd like to support the podcast, you could purchase some merchandise from drumforthesong.com or consider supporting me via Patreon from just £3 per month for additional exclusive content like bonus episodes, video calls with myself, competitions, discounts and much more. Any additional support is always greatly appreciated, but I would like to give extra special thanks to my top tier Groove Master patrons whose names are listed in the description below. My name is Dane Campbell and thanks so much for watching or listening this far. If you're a drummer, don't forget to drum for the song.